BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back, everybody, to Wrestling Omakase. It is episode number 123. This week, uh, we're here to do a year interview, uh, mostly for AEW, but we're also going to talk some Ring of Honor as well. Uh, first of all, I want to say right at the start here, uh, if you saw our guest lineup, originally we were supposed to be joined by Joe Gagne as well. Unfortunately, due to a bit of a personal emergency, he was not able to join us. Just wanted to say... To Joe, um, we definitely hope everything is, um, you know, everything's for the best right now. And we look forward to having you back on next year. Uh, sorry you couldn't join us today. But we still have two guests here. Uh, first of all, returning to the show is Sean. Hello, Sean. Hi, John. How's it going? Pretty good. Uh, it's been a long weekend for me. A lot of uh, Christmas parties, a lot of wrestling. Uh, just saw my brother's... Uh, barbershop concert tonight which was pretty fun and 
uh, John, you'll be happy to know that my brother is a very big My Hero Academia fan. So, oh yeah, what do you think yeah. of the se- What does he think of the season? I I would have asked him, but he was you know he's, he was he had basically had to go right to work after the concert. So, I, I have no idea how far he's in, but I know he you know I know he enjoys it enough that he I think he, he went to a Comic Con either in Boston or Richmond, and he got a couple pieces of artwork for My Hero, and he's got them hanging on his wall. So. I know he's. I know he's a dedicated fan. I'll just say that. Uh, this season, of course, uh, I think it's been really awesome so far for people who have been listening. Uh, definitely check that out if you're if you haven't watched the season yet. But I don't know. I didn't like this week's episode because it felt like it was kind of just stalling in the middle of this arc. Like I didn't like how much of it was flashbacks. But what are you going to do? I guess. Uh, also joining us here um, is from the podcast Everything Elite. Did not call it Everything Evolves this time. All right. Uh, Nate is here. Hello, Nate. Hello, John. Hello, Sean. Uh, happy to be back. And yeah, I'm uh, I'm actually gearing up for my first trip to Japan here in a couple of weeks. So mm. just absolutely dead with work and you know trying to get prepared for that. So good to uh, relax a little bit and talk about some wrestling. Now, when do you when do you fly out? Flying out on the 30th. So we'll be there mm. for... New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, and then staying for about 10 days. Yeah, it's your very first trip, right? So that's going to be something. Make yeah, sure you're, trip. you're, I mean, you're an anime dork. Make sure you go to Nakano Broadway. It's my big organization. Because okay. we'll like everybody, uh... everybody knows Akiba and everybody knows Ikibukuro, I think. But Nakano Broadway, it's a little, it's like a little out of the way, I guess, in, in to- like from central Tokyo, but it's such a cool like shopping mall. It's like a very old style shopping mall. Like it's never been renovated. So it looks very like old timey in the interior, which is cool. But then like all the stores are like all these little Mondrake stores that all specialize in different like otaku goods. So no. it's really cool. Okay. Yeah. I'll put it on my list. I, uh, I was a late onset anime dork. So I'm like, you know, still like <laughs> dipping my foot in, but uh, I'm definitely going to have time to take in the whole city there. So I'm sure I'll get there. Now, are you also like uh, Mr. Aaron Bentley, who I guess to taunt me personally, comes into the voice resting slack with like, I'm not even that excited to go to either day of Wrestle Kingdom. No, I'm pretty excited. (laughs) Uh, I do think his lack of excitement is genuine, though, just because he's like (laughs) largely negative on New Japan in general, I guess. Um, But no, I'm I'm pretty pumped for that. I am my... uh, Hype levels are like sort of moderated that it is in the dome. I'm not like a big fan of giant venues in wrestling. I like smaller venues, but also going to, you know, stardom and Tokyo Joshi Pro and thinking about actress girls. So, uh, you know, I'm going to have a full slate of stuff. What did you, what kind of seats did you get for the dome? I have no idea. Have oh. whatever the <laughs> foreigner, you know, we got, uh, we each got a set of the foreigner tickets for the two days and, as far as I can tell, they don't give us the actual seating info on them yet. I think they oh. just give us a QR code to pick them up at the dome. And did you get tickets for New Year's Dash or no? No, kind of deciding about that one still. Um, the Bentleys are going to Disney that day. So it kind of going to depend on if I'm like burnt out on wrestling or not. I mean, obviously, it'd be cool to be there for Liger's ceremony and like any big angles they do, but it'll also be, you know, like a fourth or fifth straight day of wrestling, so I might just skip it. <laughs> and so now, I, but my final question before I fortunately have to move on, 
do you have a prediction as of now for who walks out with both belts? Um, I think I think Naito's the safe bet, right? So yeah. it seems a little obvious to say that here on your show, but you know, <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd be uh, outthinking myself if I went with somebody else. It, it feels like it's going to be Naito over Okada. Yeah, I still think it's Naito too, and I think I mean the only part of the person that felt really possible to me is Ibushi. But maybe I'll feel differently after the Road to Tokyo Dome shows this week. Maybe that'll give me a better feel. But uh, I mean, those cards, by the way, look awesome. If you haven't, if people haven't seen them, I did a, a little write up on VoicesOfWrestling.com. If people, you know, haven't seen the lineups of uh, the last three shows before Tokyo Dome, so it's uh, Road to Tokyo Dome Cork and th- this coming Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And they they did a cool thing on the first two nights where like they matched up basically all the different possible pairings of the one five night. So you had the one five, like double title match. So like on the first Corican, you have Naito and Ibushi in a tag and you have Okada and white in a tag. And the second night uh, at Corican, you have uh, Naito and Okada and it's like an eight man and Ibushi and white in a tag. And then finally on the third night, they do the hype matches for the matches. We, we know are actually happening. Uh, Naito white and Okada Ibushi. So it's interesting. <laughs> Now, John, I, I know Joe Lanza really complained about this on one of his news d- updates or something on the Patreon. Are you upset as he is about Hiromu wrestling on those no. shows? Well, I, I talked about this in my preview. I thought I thought that's I think it's awesome Hiromu's returning to Corican, and I think it's I, I think it's a way better venue for his return than, than the Tokyo Dome. I mean, I get it that people are like, oh, well, his first match back should have been, you know, the Osprey match. It takes away. First of all, I don't think anything is going to take away from Hiromu and Osprey. I think. Like if you're if you're really thinking like is there anyone on earth who's like oh I, I wanted to see Hiromu and Osprey but now that he's wrestling some tag matches at Kurikin I don't want to see that fucking match anymore they could just cancel it like I don't think anyone on earth would say that and second of all I think Kurikin that's a building that Hiromu has like a really special connection to both regarding to the fans and the fact that he he won the best of Super Juniors there so I don't know I think it's a perfect place for his return and I was I was thrilled when I saw it personally but. I get why some people didn't like it, I guess. Uh, but it doesn't bother me. I'm actually quite happy about it. Well, it's one of those I matches, do want to... Is it one of those matches, uh, uh, Bushi and uh, Hiromu yeah. versus Birds of Prey? Like, that should be yeah. really good. It's the main event of night one. So, I mean, there's still main event in Corrigan with it, with his return match. So, I think I think it works, honestly. But, Nate, you were going to say something. Uh, just I think it's better also to give him a warm-up match to get his, you know, ring legs back under him before the big dome stage. And I was just going to say my uh, since everyone else has had their take on like the dome cards and I have not uh, put mine out there anywhere. Instead of doing the consolation match on one five, they should have the two losers from one four. One should have to wrestle Shingo and one should have to wrestle Ishii just as punishment. And that should be your you know, <laughs> fill out the cards matches. Yeah. I mean, I, I get the idea behind the consolation match and it's clearly like supposed to be a de facto number one contenders match. But like yeah, it is going to be really, really weird when the two of them come out there. And if God forbid Naito loses on one four, which I, that I mean, that's the only result that would like really, really, really stop me is if Naito loses to Jay on one four. If Naito goes to the main event on one five and loses to Ibushi, uh, I really won't be that surprised. But if Naito loses on one four and that ends in that fucking constellation match on one five, it's just going to be like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it could be very uh, unhappy. I guess I don't know what else to say. But I just can't see them jobbing him to wait a third time in a row. It just seems 
impossible to make. And the, and the hype videos, if people haven't seen them yet, like they've really focused on the idea that Naito was the one who came up with this whole double title thing. The Naito White little one minute hype video they released on uh, New Japan World on YouTube yesterday. It was like it, that video to me was like a, you know, okay, Naito was at least going to beat Jay White. Like that, it felt pretty, you know. Pretty strong, but some people seem to be on the fucking Jay White is winning bandwagon. So I don't know. Well, Sean, what do you? What do you? Well, who, who's your prediction? Well, I I, I think Naito is probably gonna is again is the safe pick to uh to come out with it. And what's funny is that I I think with Naito or I guess with Jay White is that it feels like that with Naito and White they're following a similar pattern with uh White and Okada where White beat Okada the first two times and then Okada. You know, he won the third match, but, you know, Jay White still, like, had an out where, oh, he, you know, he won the first two matches and he still has more wins over Okada. So, you know, I sort of see the same thing playing out here where, you know, Jay White's beaten Naito twice and Naito will beat him in the dome, but White will still have the out of, oh, I, I still beat you twice, though, and I still have more wins over you than you have over me. Yeah, and then it'll be, like, a question of what are they going to do at New Beginning? You know, maybe Jay beats... uh you know, Ibushi or something to get his win back from the G1 in the Constellation match, and they do Naito White at New Beginning again, but I don't know. I mean, we're getting way ahead of ourselves, as usual. It's like when uh, 2018, like, the big question on Twitter was, like, who's Naito's defense going to be against? And, you know, people were like, oh, maybe Bad Luck Folly. I forget why that was the favorite, but that was, like, it seemed to be the favorite. But as we can all tell, uh, Naito versus Bad Luck Folly did not headline New Beginning in Osaka. For the IWGP Heavyweight Title, so uh, I guess what we'll to wait and see. But yeah, that's a lot of New Japan talk, and we're here to talk about AW and Ring of Honor. Apparently, uh, so I wanted to start out with Ring of Honor first of all because we've done the Ring of Honor Year in Review episode a couple years in a row, and I didn't want to totally toss them out because you know they they had a very interesting year. Clearly, it wasn't. A good year, of course. It was a very, very bad year, but they had a very interesting year. And you know, I wrote a pair of articles on Voices of Wrestling about you know the, the what brought Ring of Honor here, and you know, and then like a follow up. Uh, apparently, the articles caused a little bit of a stir, and it, it's a very weird thing watching a promotion that I've known for so long that you know, a promotion I used to go to all their shows there's, there's you know video evidence of me in the in the in the crowd in the front row for all these ring of honor shows in the northeast from like i don't know like 2004 through like 2008 and you know it's just a very strange feeling just watching them like completely die in front of you um you know i will say it's a little di- bit different maybe for me than for some people because you know the I, the Ring of Honor I really fell in love with. I f- feel like I mourned them already in like 2010, maybe. And I never was really that attached to the current era of Ring of Honor. But you, Sean, obviously, you're v- you've been very, uh, you know, a very big fan of the current era of Ring of Honor. I don't think that's unfair to say. And you did watch them, you know, quite a bit during the, you know, not that I, not that I didn't watch Ring of Honor and still go to a bunch of their shows. Um, but, you know, I don't have the same affinity probably that you do. So, well, you know, I, I guess what has it been like watching Ring of Honor maybe slowly die in front of our eyes this year after the Elite left? Well, I think it's interesting, you know, going back to how you said you fell out of love with Ring of Honor, you know, previously. And I always thought I was, I think I might mention this on a previous show that I was on, but I've always found it interesting that, like, around the same time that you got out 
in like this 2009 or so 2010 is around the same time when I got in. So I guess I have more memories and uh, just, just general knowledge of, you know, this sort of decade of ring of honor as opposed to the first decade of the company. Um, you know, it, it seemed like coming into this year that they had signed a bunch of talents, you know, certainly not on the same level as the elites and SCU and best friends, but it seemed like they did a somewhat decent job, you know, right before final battle. And then sort of in the ensuing month or so, a couple of weeks of signing people like, you know, Bandito and uh, Mark Haskins, PCO, who had some buzz, um, Brody King and others. And it seemed like that they at least had, you know, not the pieces to totally replace the elite, but, you know, just new and fresh pieces in there. And, you know, the attendance did drop during the first half of the year, first quarter of the year, not, but not as much as maybe some might have thought. So it sort of at least gave me the impression that, oh, okay, well, it's it's going down. I, I don't think anyone would have said it wouldn't go down, but it's not like cratering immediately. But it was really, you know, after MSG, sort of the Ring of Honor half of the show, where things really seem to crater. And obviously I think a lot of people would contribute that to the fact that the ring of honor portion of MSG was universally like panned by almost everyone, even though, you know, like I, I enjoyed the ladder match for what it was, you know, and I tend to enjoy ladder matches a little bit more than most probably. And, you know, the hardcore match while was, you know, okay. In like a vacuum, it certainly didn't, fit the tone of the show especially since it sort of came about after the whole you know the guy coming out to rap for 10 minutes and then boy ray turning into a baby face when he came out to stop him because people just did not like this guy rapping in the middle of their new japan show um but yeah no I, it's the decline has been you know it's i guess at this point it's not really a surprise especially again how msg seemed to turn a lot of people off to ring of honor and, you know, Matt Taven being on top certainly didn't help either. Yeah, I mean, I think you're, I think you're underplaying that because, like, the Matt Taven uh, win in that ladder match, which, by the way, I thought oh, was yeah. hideous. Mm-hmm. I thought that match was really terrible. <laughs> like, one yeah, of the worst it, it, matches I've ever sat through live as far as a world title match. But, like, Matt Taven winning the belt over Marty, over Marty was just, like, you know, one of the m- more baffling decisions, especially once... Exactly. You know, mm-hmm. Marty's contract just ran out now. Like, we all wondered how long Marty's contract went. It went through November 30th. And, like, so they had this guy for not even, you know, for basically the rest of the year. Like, what I, I had said before that show that Marty probably shouldn't win, and, you know, I, I, I was talking about lethal retaining, not not fucking Matt and Square Taven. But, like, I thought Marty's contract ran out in, like, two or three months or something. Because that seemed to be a lot of the the talk at the time. If you had told me Marty's contract ran through November 30th, I would have been like, yeah, sure, make him the fucking champion. He's clearly the only thing left in the company that, you know, is super over. I mean, if you're in Madison Square Garden, he was the only thing, uh, like, uh, as far as, like, Ring of Honor, you know, not New Japan, that was over to that, even close to that degree. I mean, that building loved Marty Squirrel. And... You know, just make if I knew he was champion through if I knew he was like uh you know under contract through November thirtieth, I'm like of course make him champion. You know, give the elite fans a reason to you know stick around and pay attention, and then beat him in fucking September. I mean, they have a fucking 
pay-per-view at the end of September. So beat him there. You know, that's, you know, that's more than enough time to, you know, because like, you don't want to have your champion lose and then leave right after. Like, I get that. Like, you don't want your champions last night to be him losing the title because it kind of makes it feel like, okay, well, the champion's gone and now, you know, he's in AEW or whatever. But like, you know, if you beat him at the end of September, you still have two more months with him. It, it doesn't really feel like he just, you know, your champion just went straight off of television. But I don't know. They didn't want to make him champion because they didn't think he was going to stay. And, you know, <laughs> they went with Matt, Matt Taven and a completely baffling decision. And, you know, Matt Taven, I don't think he's a bad wrestler, but he it, just making him champion, making a guy who, you know, is a career big card heel who lots of your fan base clearly doesn't think very highly of. I mean, it's just you can't make that guy world champion when you're already struggling with like a fan perception problem and like a, the idea of like there's no reason for you to watch anymore. Like you have to show the fans that there's still a reason to watch you. Like they're ch- they're, they're basically giving you a chance. They're like, okay, is Ring of Honor still worth paying attention to in a post-elite world? And that Matt Taven win, I think, was just a very – clear signal to lots of people that no, it's not worth paying attention to. Like this is what they are now. So yeah. yeah. I, I really oh, think the I really think the story of that Madison Square Garden show, like uh you're you're saying, John, is that it uh demonstrated to all the potential remaining viewers that the office doesn't know what they're doing and doesn't know what the fans want to see. Because like you said, they beat uh Skrull and then they did these uh, boneheaded angles with Enzo and Cass and with the allure. And it's just like, you know, it's like if you've ever gone to a party at like a couple's place and then the couple gets in a fight and everybody else is like uncomfortable to be there. That's like the mood in that building where all these people came <laughs> to see New Japan or whatever. And then Ring of Honor just like shit the bed and embarrass themselves and embarrass New Japan and embarrass half the crowd. Like that was the vibe. And like with so much other content out there with mlw and impact and aew now and all this stuff like there has to be buy-in from the fans where they think they're going to get rewarded for paying attention to this promotion and that show was just like a big red flag like hey nope this is not what you want to see here on this show so and, and then plus like as the year went on we found out that um well i mean we had confirmed that the roh management is like terrible and doesn't take care of their talent and doesn't <laughs> know what they're doing um, and it just like goes to show that like there's no reason to invest your time when you know it just takes somebody at Sinclair deciding all this bad PR is not worth the trouble and, and shutting the door on it. So they have to find some other niche to go into or something to because they, they've they've lost the elite fans and there's you know there's no reason really to for those fans to come back when the like the, like the 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 B level major league promotion spot is already filled in the U.S. Yeah, and the other thing I want to say too is like obviously the Leaf fans are gone at the start of the year. You know, there's almost like this this whole thing where it's like, well, maybe Ring of Honor and, and New Japan are going to hug each other tighter now. You know, to to, to combat New to combat AEW, and you know, like I've said this before, I think on this podcast, but like like Zack Saber Jr. at Final Battle 2018 was almost as over as the elite guys. Like, I could not believe how over that guy was. I Like, I knew Zach was popular, but I had no idea, you know, he was that popular. So he comes out by the match with Jonathan Gresham, and, like, the crowd is, like, just going crazy for him and singing, you know, the Zach Sabre song and just, like, losing their minds. They, they loved him. So, you know, if Zach Sabre Jr. 
you know, if there is there like an alternate universe where you know Zack Saber Jr. is wrestling in New Japan in Ring of Honor like all the time between his New Japan dates, uh, Juice Robinson is there instead of moving to Japan permanently. You know, David Finley doesn't break his uh, or tear his shoulder or whatever the fuck happened, and he's there all the time. Like, is there like an alternate universe where these people are all wrestling in New Japan? And never mind the fact that you get or all wrestling in Ring of Honor, and maybe you get more New Japan guys on these shows. I mean, that's also kind of a you know a forgotten thing. It's like when you look at the cards, uh, you know, before the Elite left, like last year, Death Before Dishonor. I mean, Kazuchika Okada is on that show. Uh, like in a big, this big 10 man tag thing. Will Ospreay is in the main event, uh, challenging Jay Lethal for the Ring of Honor World title. Like they had a lot more New Japan participation on their pay per views and other big shows last year than they did this year. And it's like that G1 Supercard is a turning point. And at that point, you know, you, you basically have nothing after that uh, Global Wars tour, which you were, you know, we were talking about this off the air that you were at, where like they did not exactly send a murderer's row of guys. To that final Global Wars tour, it was like it was like Nagata, Kojima, Evil Sonata, and Godo. I think right is that pretty much it. G-O-D. Yeah, and uh, and G-O-D. Hikuleo, God, yeah. yeah. and the all Lord. the all, all the New Japan guys wrestled each other except for God <laughs> versus Briscoes. Like they they did not wrestle any of the Ring of Honor talent. It was Hikuleo versus Goto, and then it was uh, Lij versus Nagata and Kojima. And it was like, hmm, that's pretty uh pretty telling that the big matches on here are just straight ahead New Japan matches. And then that's it. And then there's been no other New Japan participation other than the G.O.D. thing. And, you know, you, you look at the, uh, you know, you look at that fucking, that summer super card. I think people have forgotten this by now. But, but, like, when that was announced, that was announced as a Ring of Honor, CMLL, New Japan for Wrestling show. Like, and that's the how they announced it. And the NWA and, and the, in there, too. Right. Yeah, and they dropped out because uh, that, that fell apart. And the entire New Japan participation ended up being G.O.D., who were on a bunch of shows this year as, uh, you know, Ring of Honor World Tag Champions. But they lost the belts, and they have not been seen or heard from since. And, you know, there was this whole thing where I get the Ring of Honor New Japan thing is still technically alive. I mean, you know, we saw Jeff Cobb at World Tag League. But there's been no... And there was also a you know New Japan contracted wrestler that won a Ring of Honor title at Final Battle and with uh, Greg Lee. Yeah, although I wonder if he might lose a title tonight or something, but I guess we'll say. Uh, but yeah, so like that's still alive. But like, what I found really interesting is when you know uh, Harold Mage goes on like uh, he he does a Fox Sports Australia interview and says you know all oh, the relations are still alive and you know we're, we think our U.S. shows are going to increase the value of everybody and blah 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 blah. And then Dave Meltzer gets Joe Coff. On the record, why the fuck Jokov said this on the record, I have no idea. But on the record to say, basically, I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. Because the, like Dave has a quote from Jokov that's like, we don't have any current New Japan uh, talent booked for any Ring of Honor shows upcoming. Like, they have no dates on any New Japan guys. So, you know, that would, that would presumably include Tampa, where Ring of Honor is going to try to put on a fucking show, um, you know, in, on WrestleMania weekend. Um, you know, apparently no New Japan participation. Uh, I've heard some rumors about New Japan participation that weekend. And, you know, um, I can't really say what I've heard. I mean, I I guess I can just say I it, it won't be. Don't go to Florida specifically for New Japan. Is I guess what I can say. There might be something, but it won't be on a big scale. Um, but like, 
as far as like you know New Japan Ring of Honor thing, I mean, is there an alternate universe where like Zack Saber Jr. is there all the time, Juice is there all the time, uh, you know, all these guys are there, and maybe you have more of a reason for like a New Japan fan, um, you know, to pay more attention throughout the year. You know, I'm not saying they would have been doing like fantastic numbers or anything, but they might, they probably would have been doing better than they did in the second half of this year. So. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Sean? Do you think they, the new the new Japan thing has had a? I mean, it just feels like they just like up and left them basically at the same time as you late, which really I can't do much for, you know the the feeling of the company. Right, and it and it says a lot that when they, you know, they had that war war of the worlds tour in May with the new Japan guys, and then when they came back with Global Wars later in the year, they it was a CMLL. Uh, partner tour and they had you know they were basically relying on all cmll talent which did not draw at all by the way yeah which they did not do a very good job of you know promoting those shows um yeah so it, it just seems like the relationship at this point um i guess you could say it's on life support uh it's it's not totally dead and again the the, the dragon lee thing would you know seem to indicate that again he's he just signed a contract with new japan and he won a Ring of Honor title, though I don't know if that was more the fact that Ring of Honor wasn't re-signing Shane Taylor, um, and the fact that you know Dragon Lee's. I I would assume Dragon Lee's working a little bit of Ring of Honor next year just because his brother is there. But then his brother lost on Friday to PCO, so I don't know what's going on anymore. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely on life support, and uh, I guess if I could just go back quickly to Matt Taven just to talk about him, like I've always. I've always seen Matt Taven as like a good wrestler. He's just a guy who I never thought would be, you know, is he's, he was never world championship material. I thought, and I, you know, I thought that when he got his, I think his first one of his, uh, when he became the leader of the kingdom, I know he had a title shot against Chris Daniels during that title reign. And I was like, he shouldn't, and people thought he might win. I was like, no, he, he shouldn't win because he's, he's just not, not, the guy who should be main eventing Ring of Honor. And I guess the best analogy for him would be that he is, you know, just incredible 20 years later, um, which I think lines up because I, I think that just incredible was ECW champion around like, like 99 or so. I could be totally wrong. I haven't really, I'm not really, you know, well-versed in the history of ECW at that level, but yeah, it, it seems like Matt Taven is very much a just incredible sort of, figure where you know good wrestler you know good hand for your mid card you know tv title tag title level but he's he's not um really deserving of being the main eventer and he's and just some people just aren't cut out to be the main eventer in a promotion regardless of the size it's just i didn't think matt taven was sort of the uh guy to go with and obviously yes the decision at msg to put the title on him instead of marty was uh not the right call, especially in hindsight. And I know, uh, I think John, you mentioned, you mentioned earlier about how, you know, you could have put the title on Marty, but I, I think that you could have put the title on Marty and then have him hold it until his last day, because, you know, what was one of the biggest stories in ring of honor, you know, in its heyday, it was, you know, the summer of punk angle where, Punk was basically hanging the title over the promotion, saying, "Oh, I'm going to go to WWE with this title." Yeah, but that that angle would not have worked this time, though, because then Marty would have been the babyface. 
Yeah, that that is true. Yeah, <laughs> when I think about it, that's probably true. He would be a massive baby face. Um, yeah, but, like, but that worked. That worked because people hated WWE. So right. Punk threatening to go to WWE with the title made him a huge heel. This is like Marty threatening to go to AEW title. People would be like, they would have been like, let's yeah, that go that, go, that go, go 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 go. <laughs> yeah, um, that that is true. I didn't think about that. Um, but but uh, yeah, you you still could have had Marty at least hold the title, especially knowing that Matt Taven's contract was up months before Marty's was. Um, yeah, that was bizarre. I yeah. mean, they're very lucky he resigned because that could have been lucky. like that could have been very very like much more embarrassing. Like I totally forgot his contract was up first, which yeah. is incredible. And I guess in a way with Marty, perhaps you know, again with the benefit of hindsight, maybe this whole situation could be a bit of a silver, silver lining for him. Because, you know, say they did put the world title on him at MSG, you know, we don't know. I mean, I personally, I would think that, you know, the attendance would still go down, but I don't know if it would have gone down to the degree that it did with Marty's champ. But say on the off chance that the exact same attendance drop happened with Marty's champ, then that, you know, that's a bad look for Marty because he's the champion. So, right, so let me. I want to throw some attendance numbers out at you because I feel like we haven't really talked about the actual oh, yeah, numbers. Those are pretty important. So, so up through August seventh, which is when I wrote my original article, their average attendance for twenty nineteen, obviously taking out MSG, which you really shouldn't count, was eight hundred and thirty five. Uh, you know that was their average. Not great, but and it was already it was down from twenty eighteen, which was uh again taking out the Mania Weekend show. Twenty eighteen was one thousand two thirteen over the same period. Uh, I want to say too, this is credit to uh, Lavi Marglin on Twitter, who kept who kept track of these at the time. Uh, so that was up to August seventh, eight thirty-five. From August seventh uh, until everything up to this past weekend, I don't know the numbers for this weekend yet. Uh, so every everything from August seventh, August ninth, Summer Supercard through November third, unauthorized, four eighty-four was the average of the fourteen events. So just from the first half of the year to the second half, basically they dropped almost like more than 50%. So like you're talking about like, they really had a trouble breaking like 500 fans for a while. And after I wrote that article, multiple people actually told me that they thought the Dave Meltzer, cause I got these numbers from the observer and people were like, I'm pretty sure the Meltzer is like rounding up on these numbers and they might actually be even worse. Cause they're very like, you know, round numbers. It's like 600, 500, 500, 800, 600. And it's like, yeah, he might actually be rounding up here. So it might, like the real numbers are probably even worse. And it's also not even counting how many of them are papered or, you know, they started doing these wacky, um, you know, ticket sales on a, a Groupon and stuff. So like, yeah, I mean, it's really dire. I mean, the England tour, especially, they they must have lost so much money on that England tour, the Honor United tour this year, because you know, they did 400 in London, which is, you know, York Hall, a building that's been packed by plenty of promotions. Uh, they did 150 in Newport, Wales, and they did 300 in Bolton. So just horrific numbers to fly all the way, to fly the entire crew all the way to England to draw those fucking numbers is really something. And then yeah, they came back. That 150 number is pretty bad. And then 250 in Pittsburgh and 300 in Columbus when they came back to the U.S., so really terrible. Nico, what were you gonna say? It's all fine because uh the new heel stable led by Vinny Kingdom is gonna turn it all around. It's gonna be a big <laughs> yeah. 2020. People are dying to see Vinny Kingdom on top of a big stable. Who's does he really have a new stable? I didn't even know. 
So uh, Tyler, Tyler Bateman joined him Tyler. yesterday, and then they all put like five fingers up, like there's going to be five people or something. Okay. And it would not shock me if uh, one of those people who joins him is Crowbar, because Crowbar is working the TV tapings tonight. <laughs> He's like 45 years old, isn't he? <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, it's weird. Like you people look are at dying like, to see Crowbar. Yeah, it's weird when you look at that TV tape and they're, they're looking who they're bringing in. Like they got they they got like. Uh, Crowbar, I know they're bringing in. They're bringing in Hollow Wicked from Chikara for some random reason. I know they're bringing in Ray Horace. Um, I know they're bringing in Nicole Savoy, who's probably you know the best would if she would work there would be the best woman in the division by like default. Um, and then I think I think there was somebody else wacky that they were bringing in, but yeah, Crowbar. Uh, I I could easily see him joining Vinny's group if that's where they're going. Yeah, that's money right there. That's a money group. Um, what they actually need to do is either buy or get bought out by Impact or MLW. And barring one of those options, they just need to run the ROH for a CZW angle again, but with GCW since GCW is like 10 times hotter than them. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, people like we have a bunch of questions. We get to the questions of like, how do you turn around Ring of Honor? And, my, you know, not to spoil my answer, but I really have no fucking idea. I mean, this is. This is quite the quagmire to be, you know, you spent the the past, you spent the past six years building up two things on your air, Bullet Club slash the Elite and New Japan Pro Wrestling. So when they both decide that they don't really want much to do with you anymore, you know, I mean, what do you, you don't have anything left. I mean, there is, you've told, they're basically WCW, you know, I mean, they basically told their fans that these other brands are, you know, far superior to their own brand. And the fans are like, okay, well, if you told us it fucking sucks, I guess it fucking sucks. What are we, what are we doing here? Uh, and, you know, on top what, sorry, what's that? I was going to say their identity used to be, oh, we're like the top indie. We have the real work rate, you know, classics. We do the long matches that are really good. And if you really like watching good matches, we are who you watch. But now every promotion under the sun does like, you know, has has caught uh, PWG syndrome, and they're all doing these same super indie style matches. So that niche has just evaporated. Like you can see high level, uh, you know, lots of kickout matches on WWE pay per views if you want. There's so there's nothing there that's like gonna draw you to Ring of Honor unless you're particularly invested in that original decade where it was like the prestigious sort of wrestling promotion, especially on the East Coast. So yeah, they have to find some sort of new identity. This is really like what Evolve's problem was until Evolve just became the NXT B League. Like they don't have anything that sets them apart from the pack. Maybe they should just go like full uh, MAGA chud problematic uh, uh, promotion and like lean into the Cornette fans and the Russo fans and get all these people because AEW has cornered the market on like uh, corporate wokeness. So like, you know, wokeness in uh, quotation marks. So, like, Ring of Honor should go the other way. They should zag and just be like, oh, you're tired of political correctness? Well, you know, come watch this show. Bully Ray, I'll call you a pussy. Yeah. I mean, that's probably... But I don't... Like, how many of those people are going to buy a ticket? I don't know. It feels like... It feels like that's something people just like to troll about on Twitter, you know? And part of the uh, problem, I think, is that they're still running these, like, massive venues, and they haven't... Like, I know... I I like asked about this in the slack over the past couple of months i know i think mike spears mentioned to me at least once or twice that it's probably a situation where they like booked 
the venues out in advance. So I was like, okay, if, if they booked them out like six or seven months in advance, I get it. But they like for, I know next year, like for St. Louis, they booked this like massive venue and it's like, why are you doing this? Like, yeah, it, doesn't it doesn't make, make any it. sense. It's pretty like, stupid. Yeah, they should be running like that Collinsville venue that they ran for, you know, a number of years in that St. Louis area, which would at least, you know, at least with that, you know, you'd get like four or 500, but it would look sort of packed instead of, you know, just an empty, you know, empty basketball arena. I mean, look, they, they did whatever the number they did in final battle, you know, they, it's an embarrassing number for a gigantic arena. It just, it, it results in like this echo. It's like they, it makes the show like actively uncooler. It's like what is what what is cooler? Seeing five hundred people in a in a packed place with like you know the sound travels, it sounds like the crowd's super hot, or five hundred people in a fucking basketball arena and like you know it sounds like there's ten people there. I mean I don't know. It's just very basic shit like that where I'm just like I don't really know what Ringwater is doing at this point, and it doesn't feel like they know what they're doing either. So maybe that's a good transition. Uh, you know we'll, uh, we'll talk. Just, just one more quick note on Ring of Honor. I I just want to note that. It was a pretty uh, telling visual that, you know, last night, or I guess on Friday night, you know, final battle goes off the air with PCO, who is going to turn 52 in like two weeks. He wins the Ring of Honor world title. And who's celebrating in the ring with him to end the show? It's it's, it's Marty. Yeah. <laughs> it's something. Uh, I just, I, they, they're a very weird promotion. I mean, the, the, the booking has been terrible for years i would argue there's just not there's no it never feels like there's a direction and i i don't know i mean maybe maybe it starts with just like going wholesale cleaning house or whatever but they don't seem to have any desire to do that so it just kind of seems like and the tv is like we haven't even mentioned the tv they, they've destroyed their own television show right is it just all recaps now pretty much i mean i haven't and to be frank this is probably like the least i've watched ring of honor in a year in like a very long time. So I, I really haven't like actually like seen the television show, but that's what I heard is that like the feature may be like one like full match. And then the rest of it is like uh, clips of other matches. And then people like uh, Ian Riccoboni and uh, the, the other announcer lady that they have just going over like storylines and stuff. And from what I heard, they didn't even really do a good job building final battle on the TV either. So Yeah. All right, so let's get off Ring of Honor because it's depressing. I think we can move over to AEW now. Um, it's Ring of Honor is what it is, and the G1, I think the G1 Supercard, their half of that will just forever be remembered as like a turning point, and we'll see if they can ever come back. I'm very doubtful. Uh, Moving us over to AEW, which, of course, began officially on May 25th. Um, before we get, you know, there's a... AEW is a very interesting thing. You know, it's I, I think we're we're pretty clearly out of the honeymoon phase now. You know, we're out of that phase where um, I think everybody's like, give it time, you know, just give it a chance. You have to give it, uh, give them more time to do blah, 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 blah. So I think people are more uh, comfortable hearing critiques of it. And I think people kind of like settled into their little camps as we've kind of figured out what the TV is actually going to be. Um, you know, there are plays, there are still people who absolutely love AW. They love all things AW. I mean, like, you know, uh, you know, Joe Lanza, I think, of Voice Wrestling flagship, he still seems to pretty much love most of what they do. Although I think that you said this week's was his least favorite TV show. But in general, he seems to uh, be very into them. 
And there's a lot of people on Twitter who love them. And I think, you know, most of the, you know, if you look at the Voice of Wrestling Discord, they love it. If you go to the Super Jcast Discord on the AW channel, they've, you know, it's been very negative for weeks and weeks now. And, you know, they just very, very much turned on the promotion of the show. Even the people who, um, you know, maybe were giving it more of a chance at first. So you can find pockets everywhere. Obviously, WWE fans hate it, but that's not really uh, anything shocking. But I think Nate and I were talking about it off air, and you know, you had an interesting theory. I'm, I'm hoping you can repeat here, like where they had like such a buildup, right? There was time for everyone to kind of have their own idea about what the promotion was going to be, and you know, some fans clearly do like it, and some don't. So I, I kind of just stole your theory, but repeat. Go ahead and repeat. It, <laughs> yeah. Well, so the and like doing my own podcast on this is like uh goes part and parcel with this being sort of an issue but we knew the promotion was coming for a long time in advance of the promotion and they started doing these pay-per-view shows and they had these multiple web series that were all building up to the big debut on tnt they were doing tons of media interviews of course because you're promoting your product and you need to raise awareness for it and it's just very easy in all of that to for people to pick out what they want to hear out of that stuff. So uh, it's easy for like new Japan fans to hear that they're saying, Oh, you know, wins and losses are really going to matter. And you know, there's going to be no fuck finishes. It's going to be all, you know, clean finishes and all this stuff. It's easy for them to hear that stuff in the promotional uh, build up to the promotion. And then, you know, they have that expectation of what it's going to be. It was, of course, you know, it's fair to take people at their word when they put it in a interview on whatever media outlet. Um, but yeah, just very easy for people to develop their own idea of what their ideal new wrestling promotion would be like. And of course, you know, the, in actuality, there's no way that it could fit into everyone's perceived whole of what a, the new wrestling promotion is going to be. So I think as the as the honeymoon period ends and then we get into like the long-term understanding what they are prioritizing and how they're going to write their shows and how they're going to produce their shows. As people come to accept what that is, they will probably, I think, uh, uh, find the way that it has differed from what they expected to be less grading. And they won't be so caught up on uh, uh, their preconceived notions, I guess. Um, But yeah, you know, uh, uh, speaking from our perspective, or I guess I should say my perspective, I found it pretty easy to be critical of AEW doing a weekly show about it just because now that there are multiple major league promotions in the U.S. other than WWE, like you can watch uh, AEW, you can watch um, New Japan and like have your fill of like full arenas with, you know, 4,000, 5,000, 6,000, 10,000 people losing their mind for pro wrestling. It's it's much easier now than I think it was a year ago to uh, lob criticisms of one or the other because you know a year ago it'd be like well yeah you know i understand that there's these complaints about kenny omega or whoever else in new japan but at least it's not the wwe so i'm happy with it yeah i mean i, I definitely do think there i mean there's, there's people it, it, it kind of has been like a very much like i feel like that the people who really love aw have also kind of soured on new japan so it's kind of a good point and the people who still really love new japan aren't as super into aw not that there aren't people who are still really into both but i think that definitely has happened um well i, I really think a lot of that and this is my own perspective uh just because there's two hours of like pretty watchable pro wrestling on a week-to-week basis now that makes it a lot easier like when a new japan show comes around at 
you know, 2 a.m. on a Sunday for me to go, no, I'm going to sleep in and I'll dip in and watch whatever matches happen and interest me after the fact. Like, I just don't have that same hunger for like really good pro wrestling because it's like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to watch two hours this week on Wednesday. And, and like, I, you know, I don't need 30 hours of pro wrestling a week. I, most people probably have a limited budget of time where they can fit all this stuff in. Yeah. And with that limited budget of time, you know, ease of access, you know, becomes a real big thing. And the fact that it's on free TV every week now, it's, you know, makes it a lot easier to invest your time in wrestling than, you know, and new Japan world is great, but you know, it's a different sort of different levels of investment, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, for me personally, I, this, you know, this year has made me more invested in new Japan than anything. And just because I do think it's having that, um, maybe having that dichotomy where it's like, you know, I, I, I get what AW is going for and I, I get why it's really connected with a lot of people. It hasn't connected with me on that same level. Not that I don't, you know, I've seen every single dynamite so far, but like, it's very, it is very American wrestling. I think people probably should have expected that more than they did. And I, I'm even saying for myself too, um, you know, they, they should have expected it to be very American wrestling, but it is like, extremely american wrestling and you know it's very much like kind of even heightened the contradiction with new japan for me and it's like well i just really you know after watching dynamite a lot of weeks i'm just like i just really kind of want to watch you know a two and a half hour show at cork and hall where people are just gonna have some matches i don't need any more spooky goths uh yelling at me on the screen or showing up on hotel tvs to recruit jobbers or whatever the fuck like it just i I, like i have a a maximum amount i can take that and it definitely it definitely does like there was a the the biggest thing was like the the the, what's it called what what was the name of the fucking pay-per-view uh full gear full gear was the same night as uh you know as the new japan showdown san jose show so basically i was able to just turn off full gear and turn back on uh you know showdown san jose and like going straight from AW pay-per-view to a New Japan show, even not like a gigantic New Japan show, it was much more like I kind of this kind of made me uh, like increased my appreciation for like people having to color in like in the lines. I guess is the best way to put it. Hmm. Like have like there's just, there's a structure to New Japan now that you can kind of see when you compare it directly to AW, where it just feels like. You know, we're just kind of like fucking doing everything and anything. And, you know, we're just starting totally from scratch. And, you know, I get why people love that chaos. And, I, you know, I totally understand it. But it gets very, you know, exhausting for me after a little while. Yeah. So, I, mean, that's- I, I, I totally get like when you learn the way the New Japan system works and how their booking is structured and can see how things are developing. It's very satisfying to watch. And. Like you said, AEW is starting from scratch. We don't know what that structure is or if they're going to have a structure in that way. So it can definitely be off-putting. I will say my – you'd ask me what I uh, what I dislike the least or dislike the most about AEW before we started recording. And I think really my biggest criticism is they have been poor about managing expectations. Like if you watched All In and then watched Dynamite, like that would totally fit. It's like very American pro wrestling show – you had Joey Ryan out there. You had Marty Skrull doing, you know, comedy skits on the Titan Tron uh, before his match with Okada. Like that logically feeds into what Dynamite looks like on TV a lot of the time. I mean, they're not doing big, broad comedy 
very much, although the Chris Jericho celebration was like approaching pretty broad comedy. Um, but yeah, then they did this whole build up the promotion where it was like, oh, it's going to be sports oriented. There's going to be hardcore stats. We're going to do this, 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 and this. And they also just like fucked up and talked about CM Punk all the time. And they, uh, you know, just did a poor job of managing expectations because you're just begging the audience to disagree with you. Like Tony Khan would also do it before every pay-per-view and be like, oh, well, Fighter Fest is going to be the best pay-per-view of all time. And it's like, don't say that because <laughs> then yeah. people are going to watch it and be like, well, you know, that was entertaining, but it wasn't the best pay-per-view of all time. This guy's fucking lying. Yeah. Like they've done a poor job, I think, of managing expectations in that way. Um, but again, as as people settle into what it is and develop their own expectations for what it's going to be, uh, you know, that discourse, I think, will relax to some degree. Of course, the discourse of all like the bad faith criticisms and the WWE stands uh, will just uh, continue on eternally, I expect. Yeah, of course. Um, and to me, like the big, the, the, the major thing that I personally have a problem with versus their expectations. And we talked about this off the air, you know, too, is like the finishes have gotten increasingly shitty on dynamite. Like there's just so much interference now. And, you know, there is interference in New Japan too. And we were, we were saying on off the air, like, you know, it is very similar almost to New Japan where like you can have all kinds of wacky shit, but they'll never call DQ. So in that way, that might be their most New Japan-esque thing as far as, like, you know, what they've taken away from the booking. But, like, at least in New Japan, it feels like they, they always do a really good job. Um, you know, I, I mean, I prefer no interference at all, but they do a good job, like, uh, keeping it to one unit at a time. So, like, for a little while, it was Suzuki Goon. Uh, at one point, it was LIJ. And now, in the last, like, year plus, it's always it's been Bullet Club. So Bullet Club does the interference. Suzuki Goon does not do the interference. Uh, Lij does not do interference. It's all only contained to Bullet Club. So you know if you go into a a match with Kenta or Jay White or something, they might do some of that bullshit. But if you go in a match with you know anybody else, you're not going to see it. Whereas like Dynamite, it just feels like it's all over these shows now. Like just you know constant like run-ins and bullshit and I don't know. It, it, it that does like if I had anything on the shows that like annoy me. I didn't expect even based on what they, you know, were saying beforehand, it would be like, I feel like the finishes have gotten increasingly bad. So. Yeah. On, on the finishes, I think a lot of credit has to be given to Garrett Kidney. Cause I, I feel like on, not only on his pot on the Wednesday war games pod, podcast, but on, you know, his Twitter as well. I think he was one of the first ones to point that out like in week two or week three. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of sort of these run in finishes or, you know, people getting involved. And uh, I guess for me personally, like I'm sort of like, you know, it, it, it depends on situation. Like if someone, and this goes for new Japan as well. Like if someone gets involved and it leads to a near fall and then they go for like another five or 10 minutes and you get a clean finish with like that. And the interference like had no real bearing on the ending of the match. Then I could sort of give it a pass, but when it's like leading right directly to the finish, then it does get, a little bit more annoying. Um, you know, off the top of my head, I can't think of any, you know, unless, unless you, unless uh, either of you guys bring it up, I, nothing comes to mind for me that was like in AEW that was, I guess, super egregious, but. Oh, that first fucking week. Are you kidding? Oh, oh yeah, that, that's exactly. Yeah, that's right. Where they, where John Moxley just came in and chased off Kenny Omega with like no, 
Which that was one of the. I, I will be honest. I could not believe how much of a pass people gave that. Like there have been a couple times uh, watching this promotion where I'm like, if WWE did that, like people would be fucking losing their shit. And that was one of them. Because I'm like, what the fuck? Like he came in and like it wasn't like it was a quick little thing. He beat the shit out of Kenny right in front of the ref. They fought all the way to the back. He put him through a glass table, and the match just kept going. I was just like, well, okay. It's like if they don't want GTQs, that's fine. But like. Then why does everybody just gang attack everybody in the middle of every goddamn match? Like, I don't know. That was very that that that's, to me was egregious. Yeah, that's honestly right. the the issue again is like they made such a big deal in the lead up about being you know oh it's going to be sports oriented wins and losses matter we're not going to do a bunch of goofy stuff if they had just come out and said there are literally no disqualifications in this promotion we do not have a facility for calling a disqualification on a match like the refs just can't do it. Like then it all like works and makes sense. And you're just like, Oh, well the ref has to try and restore order without literally throwing the match off. No wonder, you know, uh, John Moxley is able to run in the middle of this match and distract Kenny Omega and fight him to the back. Like, but they didn't do that. So uh, again, now that we, we can probably reassess and say, okay, they're basically doing the new Japan style of the ref has to try and restore order, whether it's grabbing a, a iron finger away from a Zuka or whatever. Uh, Cause he's, he's just literally not going to, call a DQ. They, they're just never going to do it. They, like now that we know that, then we can sort of reassess. They still like the stuff with, uh, you know, Joey Janela's ongoing feud with Sean Spears where he keeps oh, yeah, that was doing these run-ins and stuff like that. That definitely grates on me and chafes on me. And it's like, <laughs> that's fucking why stupid. It, but why, you know. why does the AW lights guy just keep fucking turning the lights off for anybody who asks him? That's the biggest mystery. Like if we got should, a segment, we need a segment backstage where we like he pulls opens off his dress shirt to reveal like a Sabu shirt. So he's like a huge Sabu mark, and that's why he <laughs> he fucking turn the lights off every week. Because Mike, it feels like he did a finish. They've done that fucking lights out shit a million times already. Yeah, it's like five or six times. What he should do is he should have uh like a, a station set up in the back by the lights where he just has to determine how big a star the person is because. <laughs> You just you can't do it for for Sean Spears and Joy Janela and everybody else under the sun. It has to be a big fucking deal when you do the lights out thing. That's my take. Yeah, and uh, I was not saying, a good... and just to go back just real quick to the expectations thing. You know, when we were following the stuff that was happening in January and February, I I really got the sense that a lot of people thought that AEW was just going to be American New Japan, um, and I could see like why you know maybe people in the new Japan circle sort of turned on the promotion after, you know, dynamite started. Cause that's not really what AEW is. Um, yeah. So I can understand totally why they're sort of, they, they've definitely been sort of uh, mismanaging the expectations and whatnot. Throughout yeah, the- I mean, when, whenever I talk about the super J cast server, like people, I think do have a reaction that are like, Oh, of course they don't like it. Cause you know, they're new Japan loyalists, which there definitely is an element to it. But if you look at six months ago, um, if you go to the the All Elite channel on AEW, because they have like a specific channel, I mean, the All Elite channel on the Super Jcast server, um, that used to be like a war zone. And it used to be like, you know, the people who already wanted to hate it and the people who already weren't fans of the Elite versus the Elite fans who there were people on there like arguing like, you know, no, give this a chance. It might be good. You know, I love Kenny Omega, blah, blah, blah. Like six months later now, the end of the year, there is no argument on that server anymore. Like the server is in pretty much, you know, unanimous agreement well, that the, that they don't did like all it. the AEW fans leave. Is that why? 
No, no, no. This, I'm, well, some of them did, I think. But there <laughs> are, but there are like some people on there who I know, I know are Kenny fans, and I know are AEW fans, and like, or, or I know they were Elite fans in New Japan at least, and they've turned on the promotion. And like, you can see the same people. So you know, I think part of that I think also is because you know the one that was most important to uh, you know New Japan Elite fans is Kenny, and Kenny, you know, has not exactly been pushed super hard in AEW so far, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. But, I mean, I think also a big part of that is just, like, the promotion is not an American New Japan, and it's not really even close to an American New Japan. No, it is not at all. It is basically another, you know, and I, I said this, and this is what made uh, Mr. Bentley, I think, go off on me uh, <laughs> without mentioning by, me by name on this week's Everything Elite. It does feel like TNA 2 to me. And I think he thought, when I said that in uh, the Voice of Wrestling Slack, and, you know, some other people said the same thing. I think he took that as an insult, or I'm trying to say, well, the promotion's not going to go anywhere, or it is going to be what it is. I don't even necessarily mean that as an insult. I watched a lot of TNA back in the day and enjoyed it, but that's what it feels like to me. It feels like a promotion that's settling into that number two role in the U.S. that TNA abandoned you know, years ago, and isn't necessarily trying to do anything radically different from WWE. They're very much in that same you know, U.S. wrestling sphere. It just feels like they're trying to be WWE done a little better, mm-hmm. which isn't hard because WWE is like fucking you know, terrible. Know, weeks ago, they're at the, their lowest point probably, at least main roster. But where you are at with AEW, I mean, if you're if you're expecting anything other than you know American wrestling, you know, done better than WWE has been doing it. I totally get why you're not into it at all. Why you might be very like even feel betrayed. Like I think some of the <laughs> elite New Japan fans probably feel right now. Well, the so that was my take after All In was really like, oh, they're doing sports entertainment better than the WWE, which isn't hard because you have to have dog shit in your head to do sports <laughs> entertainment like the WWE. So that like to that extent, uh, I, I think you're correct. Like it is TNA too, and that they are trying to do major league American pro wrestling in the style of televised pro wrestling as we have come to expect it, but they're just trying to do it better than the WWE. And uh, as you said, I think they're succeeding on that goal. Like they're really just trying to be WCW from the glory days. And there's a lot reminiscent of WCW in that way, which I enjoy having been a WCW fan. The, my whole thing in the build up to AW on our podcast was, I don't know how you do pro wrestling television live on a weekly basis and have it look anything like new Japan. New Japan is very dependent on these discrete tours with lots of undercard matches and uh, a very low sort of uh, build from people moving from the bottom toward the top of the card. And then it's all centered around these, you know, uh, uh, seasonal tournaments. And I just, I don't like. I don't think you could do New Japan on TNT on a weekly basis. So you know, if you were expecting that, I'm sympathetic because I, you know, being a New Japan fan, I would like to see it have a big platform. But New Japan doesn't have people come out and give interviews in the middle of the ring, except at the very end of the show. And TNT viewers and USA viewers and American pro wrestling fans, as we've trained them to watch on cable television, they expect that sort of stuff. So I just, right. it, it doesn't fit yeah. in that hole for me. I think I just don't think it. There, there was a way to get closer to it though than they did. Clearly, I think like you could have, you could have done a, a tone of the show a, a lot different than the tone they've gone. I mean, when you look at like 
you know, this has been the big talking point lately, but this doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong. The three different spooky goth stables <laughs> that are in the promotion, uh, you know, the, the, the goofier stuff. Like, there's a lot of, like, really, you know, wacky stuff on the show, which is fine. I mean, that seems to be the direction they wanted to go in. But, you know, I do think, I don't know if it was sold to people as, like, you know, we're going to have uh, Evil Uno on the hotel closed circuit, you know, recruiting. Or that's not Evil Uno. Whoever the fuck. Is that Stu Grayson? The, the smoke I think that was guy? a random guy. Oh, yeah. just a random, it's just a random guy. Okay. I think so. so the random Dark Order spokesperson on closed circuit television. Uh, we're we're going to have uh, Brandy doing fucking voodoo or whatever the fuck she's doing. I mean, that it's very, very weird stuff. And, you know, that's fine if you're not, if you're into that, that's, you know, and it's totally cool. But there is a lot more wackiness to it than I think people even expected. And so. the thing with those groups is that, like, there are ways and little, like, different tweaks that you can make where they're, like, more easily distinguishable from each other. Like, even, say what you will about, like, what they're doing with the Dark Order now, at least they're sort of, trying to make them stand out a little bit with the whole, oh, you know, we bring in all the outcasts of society and everything like that. And, like, for example, like, with the Butcher and the Blade, like, you know, they did the story where MJF sort of paid them off to attack Cody. Well, you know, a way you could distinguish them from, say, the Dark Order or whatever the hell Brandy is doing is that just to say, hey, they're, um, they are sort of, you know, in the same mold as, like, the APA where they, you know, they do stuff for people and they sell their services to the highest bidder. And they're just, you know, like bounty hunters or whatever the term you want to use is, or they're just in it for the money. Like they're like, there are easy, like you can have sort of those groups, but then just make it. And, and I think this goes to sort of my overall critique of AW is that I think there are a lot of things that they do that can be fixed with just like the, the smallest of tweaks and I think like that is one of them. Like you could like with those groups, you could easily just make a, a couple of subtle changes and just make them, you know, they can still be dark, but they could be all be, you know, somewhat different from each other. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that they tweaked the dark order already is a, uh, is a sign to be or reason to be positive about maybe them figuring it out. Like dark order was totally flat and like dead in the water upon their debut. And then they put this like Scientology spin on it. And then it's, you know, gotten progressively better reactions, I think. The, you know, stay away from the, like, you know, hanging out in the woods shit and, like, just focus on the weird uh, hotel, you know, uh, infomercial Scientology, a can card sign of it. And then, yeah, the the Butcher and the Blade, they look spooky, but, yeah, they've tried to, I think, establish that they're, like, mercenaries and have been hired now twice by MJF. So that's uh, distinct in in its own way. Uh, Really, I think the main uh, uh culprit for the outcry against this is just the flat brandy angle and it not working and it being awkward and it being weird um i think if you didn't have that and she was doing anything else then all that other stuff would go down a lot smoother yeah the night the nightmare collective i think is the absolute like low point of aw so far and i don't i don't know if i, I haven't really seen anyone even defend that and I, even people who like a lot of what aw is doing and you know, it's just very, it hasn't been good. It's been very bad. Uh, it, it's taken forever just to get here uh, as far as like fucking her and Kong. And, you know, where we are now is still not very good and still feels like the worst thing on the TV every week. So, I mean, if that went away, 
I do think the TV will be a lot better for it. That's definitely been the the biggest weak point so far. Don't think anyone would disagree with that. But uh, so let's talk about the weekly TV because you know the the early stuff. You know, I think we can wrap it up very quickly just to say I, I think it's the least interesting thing looking back at it because in hindsight, you know, those early shows really did not tell you a whole hell of a lot about what the weekly TV was going to be and even what the first. Even the first pay-per-view, pay-per-view during the TV era, I think, is very different than the the pre-TV shows. So, you know, I can wrap up my things on them very, very easily. Where Double or Nothing was a pretty good show. Fighter Fest, I didn't like very much. Fight for the Fallen, I thought, sucked. And All Out, I thought, was pretty damn good. Uh, that's pretty much my thoughts on the four shows. I don't know if anyone wants to quickly say anything about them. but uh, I think Mike Spears on the Everything Elite podcast a couple times before TV started, I mentioned that that sort of summer period was like AEW's preseason. And I, I think he's, you know, totally spot on with that. You know, cause the, you know, say what you will about all those shows, but like, you know, the whole reason why the promotion was started is because, you know, or one of the reasons why is that Tony Khan felt like he could get, you know, a, a television deal for wrestling. So like the real, the real start of the promotion was October 2nd, with the first dynamite show, and then everything that came before that was just sort of setting up the pieces, getting everything together. Just like like Mike said, it was basically the preseason. Uh, so there you go. By the way, breaking news before we talk about Dynamite. Apparently there's going to be an Ingobernable faction in ROH with Roosh, Dragon Lee, and Kenny King. So there you go. Okay. Yeah, I think uh, we're at a point now where uh, where Lij is the only true ingobernable faction. I mean, it's cool that La <laughs> Park is in the AAA one, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. Yeah, I did yeah. see that they were at least sort of teasing that with Kenny King, like trying to you know, I guess coerce Roosh and Dragon Lee. Uh, I saw some, I guess theories that they could have it could have been Roosh, Dragon Lee, uh, Bandito, and Flamita. But I guess if, if the idea is that they want this sort of group to be heels, then, you know, I guess Bandito and Flamita sort of run counter to that because they seem like a very babyface tag team. So, um, yeah, that, that I guess that we saw that coming, but I guess maybe not with the people you were expecting. Tough to tough to put Flamita in there just because as of Final Battle, he was still repping Tribe Vanguard. <laughs> um, before we go week by week, here's here's what I want to say real quick about Dynamite. Um, you know, there, there's been people that have been booked better than others, and I think it's very clear of the elite guys. I mean, Cody has been the big star, and just you know, I'm not really shocked at all that he's taken to weekly American television so well. I think that's kind of what he was always going to be much better at than he was going to be in New Japan. Uh, Kenny Omega. I, they they haven't really figured out how to book him as a weekly television star yet. I don't know. Is that unfair? Does anyone take issue with that statement? It just it feels to me like he goes long stretches where he doesn't matter at all, and you know maybe that's because he's on dark and they're using him to bump the YouTube views. But like, I mean, that John Moxie feud, it felt like he was feeding with him. It felt like Moxie was feeding with himself most of the way. Um, it just it was very very bizarre that entire feud as far as like what. You know, it feels like they're really they're, they don't feel confident in Kenny 
to cut a promo in front of the live crowd. He only ever really cuts like pre tapes, and it's just very. It doesn't seem like they've clicked with him yet, as far as like how to figure out how to use him as a as a weekly TV wrestler. I don't know. Does anyone have any thoughts on Kenny? I, I think, I that's, think a that's yeah. I think that's fair. Um, again, our, our expectation going in was, oh well, Kenny Omega is going to be the ace of the promotion or the top babyface, and it's going to be you know him and Jericho in the first title program and all this stuff. So any diversion from that was like a culture shock. I think. Um, Having gone to the uh, last two shows I just did here in, here in Illinois, like he's still super over. Like he's still received like one of the top three or four people, uh, and and received like a star. Like when his music plays, people stand up and go wild for him. And that was even the case in Champaign, which is like uh, you know more of a central Illinois southern area. Um, but yeah, he just doesn't have the direction or the focus that I guess we anticipated for him. If you believe his interviews, a lot of that is his own doing and that he's spending a lot of time producing the women's segments before he ever gets to uh, his segment or his program or whatever. And then he said, you know, I he's gone on and on about, he's not, uh, doesn't want for himself the role of being the focus of the television programming at this point in time is instead trying to, have fun being more versatile and working guys. He's never worked and working styles. He's never worked uh, like with the mixed tag match with Riho that he did um, or the, you know, uh, uh, death match basically with John Moxley and, and doing all that stuff that, you know, we never would have seen from him in new Japan. So yes, does not fit our expectations. Um, but I think is still working to the degree that fans are still behind him and fans are still, uh, invested in him as a character. I think also probably part of that is a symptom of Cody Jericho and Moxley all doing better at the top of the card than anticipated. Like, I don't know if we expected that Moxley would be in that position at all. Um, but they've all done a really good job at the top of the card, I think. So, uh, you know, if he's on the back burner for a while, I, I don't think it really hurts him. Well, I'm not sure if it hurts him, but it just feels like even, even as a weekly TV wrestler who's not going to be a main eventer, I don't feel like they've found they've found enough for him to do for his you know level of star power slash hype going into this. Like I don't know, you were you were more of a fan of him in New Japan than uh, even I was probably. But I just rewatched um, the before I recorded this, I was rewatching the Kenny and Naito uh, 2017 G1 final, and. I, I just have never gotten the feeling that that Kenny Omega is an AEW. Like they don't feel like the same person. No, you know, it's I don't been, think he hasn't had a big blow away match like any of those Naito matches or Ishii matches or Bushi matches or Tanahashi matches or Okada matches yet. Um, but also he's been programmed mostly opposite Moxley. I mean, he did have a really good hardcore match with Moxley, but you're not going to get that sort of style from Moxley. And then his other big program was Pac, and Pac is just not doing those sort of uh, big bomb throwing epics. Like he has a very um, uh, deliberate sort of heel style. I mean, he's still like super exciting to watch, but he's not going out there like uh, Naito and getting dropped on his head 13 times or diving, you know, uh, into the, over the guardrail and into the crowd or anything like that. So yeah, he hasn't done anything yet. And I don't know if there's a guy in this promotion that he can match up like that with yet. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it, that's been, I think, 
a bit of a disappointment. That was part of the disappointment when I went to All Out was like the Omega Pack match just didn't match that major league New Japan top level match level that I wanted it to get to. Yeah, and I'm not. I, I don't even the match quality is obvi- that that's very obvious. I just mean also like from his. I, I don't know. Like he felt like a like such an enormous star coming out for that match with the Young Bucks and just like there was something about that persona. Um, he was he, he was more over even than he's been. Not that he's not over in AEW, but like he's not the most over in AEW. In this building, I mean, he was almost as over as Naito in that sumo hall. And, I, and you know, I was there also, so I can, you know, give the first hand to I mean, he was like, there were some super, super passionate Kenny fans there. And he's still over in AEW, but he does not feel like that level of star at all. And, you know, I'm sure part of that's his booking. But, like, again, to get back, all the way back around to it, I think there is an assumption on the part of AEW fans, and I, I hear this, again, from Joe Lanza, from other people all the time, that the moment they go to heat him up and put the title on him, presumably next year at some point, you know, it'll just be great and it'll be the fans will take to it immediately and he'll be the top guy and it'll work on American television. I'm not convinced it will. And I'm not convinced he is, you know, he'll be ready for that first of all, or that it'll feel natural or that they know how to book him as a top weekly American star. And they're going to put him out there and he's going to do these promos like Cody and Jericho uh, and even like you know, like an MJF does. That's one thing. If they're finally gonna let, because I, I think he's actually a better promo than some people give him credit for. But so far, they've shown no willingness to set to send him out there and do promos in front of a live crowd. So if he's not gonna do the promos, which is like a huge part of being a top AEW star so far, and he's not, you know, they're, they're, they don't have the wrestlers to match him up with. Because again, and this is my own personal preference talking again, but I think you know, the, I don't even think very many people would argue with the statement that the AW roster is not, you know, even close to the same level as the new Japan roster, but there's just, there aren't a lot of people to match him up against, you know, what is he at that point? You know? And I think that, I think he's, he carries himself a certain way, which is good. And he's riding that reputation of like, you know, the best wrestler, you know, to a certain segment of the world, but I don't know what's going to make him stand out. You know, as that top star, he, it, it's not going to be the promos and it's not going to be the matches. At that point, you're just talking about a reputation, right? Like, what is it at that point? So, yeah, for, for, for me, uh, ever since, you know, it when they announced that Kenny versus Jericho was the main event of Double or Nothing, you know, I thought, okay, that made sense because they're doing the, the rubber match from New Japan. Jericho's going to win and they're going to do a third match. And then when they announced that it was sort of this title eliminator thing, then I thought that, okay, uh, Jericho is definitely going to win and Omega is uh, going to win the title from him in the eventual rubber match. And I, I still think that. I still think that's the direction they're eventually going to get to, whether that be you know at double or nothing in 2020 or maybe even all out. I don't, I, I don't know. But, you know, I mean, it seems like to me that they, if, if they know that they're going to give the Kenny the title and he's going to be the one to beat Jericho down the line, okay, fine. But it feels like you know they're not sure what to do with him in the interim. I mean, they had that feud with Moxley where he sort of wasn't like really didn't seem to be all that into it at certain points. 
but you know, especially now after that, I mean, he just he did just start the thing with Paige, but it seems like that you know, it, it just seems like they're just trying to kill time with him. I guess. Is can this- I ask? Let me let me. Can, what what the fuck was supposed to happen if Kenny hadn't, or if John Moxley hadn't gotten that injury right before uh, all out? All out. Yeah. Um, like, if, let's say Kenny was. W- w- do we just switch the two matches? Were it supposed to be Kenny and Moxley at all out? And Kenny and Pac at a or Pack or whatever the fuck <laughs> at full gear, or because I have a conspiracy theory about this, and I might have I may have said this in the air before. I don't even know. I think they thought they were going to be able to do business with New Japan, which they clearly did at one point. And Kenny thought, and they thought Kenny, or at the very least, because Kenny has that that clause in his contract. I think they thought Kenny was going to be hyping up a Wrestle Kingdom match right now, and that's that was going to keep him, you know, in the in the headlines, so to speak, and in, you know, the wrestling fan consciousness. And they don't, they didn't have to book him as a top guy because he was going to be in a top match at Wrestle Kingdom, whether it's a Bushi, probably a Bushi, or whoever the fuck else. And clearly New Japan decided not to do that. So, you know, they, they didn't want decide, they didn't decide they didn't want to call him for Wrestle Kingdom, which, you know, turned out, I think, to be the right decision since, you know, tickets are still moving very well for the Wrestle Kingdom, both nights of Wrestle Kingdom. But like, so so that just left them with nothing, basically, for Kenny to do. And, you know, maybe if... Because if you take everything Kenny's done on Dynamite together, and then, you know, which has not been a, a ton, but he's had, you know, he had that match with Janela that was pretty good. You know, he had some other, a couple other matches, and obviously the Moxie match of Folk Gear was awesome. But if you put all that together, plus right now we're all getting ready for Kenny and Ibushi at Wrestle Kingdom, or Kenny and Naito, or Kenny whoever the fuck, or Kenny Okada, whatever you want to say. Uh, or even Kenny Osprey, because that one's been hyped up lately. If you put that on top of everything he's done in AEW, I think people would think very differently of Kenny Omega's year and like you know the end of this year right now. But I don't know. That's yeah, my, that's my little conspiracy theory. Maybe. Uh, I mean, again, who who knows what would have, what would have happened if Moxley was able to go at all out in Chicago, and how that might have changed? Because as far as I know, you know, up until they canceled the match that was always going to be just a regular match right it wasn't going to be this lights out thing yeah yeah so yeah i i guess very hard to tell but i guess just to close quick on kenny before we move on i i've really enjoyed some of the stuff he's done on tv and i think as far as like the wrestling i just think that's because i i think I'm, i'm not the first person to mention this i've seen other people mention it too i feel like kenny's you know more explosive style, particularly, you know, with some of the things that he does, I feel like that lends itself more to a, a TV match. Like I, I really felt that in the second Janela match where I just like, it just, I just really enjoy that. Um, so as far as like the wrestling, I think, you know, Kenny, obviously he's not doing what he's been doing and what he did in new Japan, but as a whole, I, you know, his work on dynamite hasn't bothered me that much. I, I think he's been the probably the best TV worker on Dynamite. I don't understand yeah. why I don't put him on yeah. more. Yeah, like like I said, I th- I I just feel like his whatever it is, I just feel like his style suits itself more to like a ten minute TV match. I I think Kenny's great when he's on there. Um, you know, I just I, I don't know why they don't put him on more, but they don't. I mean, look the the roster is not really my thing, and I don't think that's really shocking news to people who know my. Taste of wrestling. It's very. It's filled with a lot of people that are fine, but like not not a lot of people that are uh, that I'm super into. 
but yeah, I think Kenny, you know, Kenny would not that he wasn't my favorite in New Japan, but he's, you know, pretty close to top for me in AEW. And I don't know why they don't use him more, even though he doesn't have maybe, you know, it could just be like a, he doesn't have a ton of great matchups or something. But I mean, uh, they've uh, they've obviously have not made the call to make him their top guy, but I do think you know he has the AAA Mega Championship. He's doing defenses of that on Dark and stuff, and. I think that's a pretty decent way to sort of like maintain his importance level while he's not being focused on uh, in the, you know, world title picture in AEW. Um, So, you know, but part of like reputation is part of being treated like a star anyway, like having other people react to somebody like a star, uh, it, you know, makes you more of a star. So, you know, I, I, I think he's like fine. I think he'll, I think he'll get his, you know, big uh, push back to that top level, you know, over the coming year or whatever. And I, I think probably the match, the matches aren't going to get to the level of that New Japan thing. But, you know, I saw that uh, Kenny Omega versus Kip Sabian match in Champagne and was like, hey, you know, that was pretty good. That's a nice little go-home match for the end of your taping here. Uh, but, you know, people online, a lot of people were saying, oh, well, that's, uh, you know, the best match they've had in Dark so far, et cetera, et cetera. So I... I don't think he's uh, violating a lot of people. I don't think he's disappointing a whole lot of people. Hmm. Well, it depends on where you look, I guess. Uh, the other thing I want to say, too, is the thing that by far I think got the some of the most buzz is that, that weird video Kenny did on uh, the fifth episode of Dynamite. And remember, like, the... So he does that Undertale video, that uh, Undertale-themed video with, like, the New Japan, the weird New Japan landmark and the Ibushi silhouette. And like people went crazy for exactly one day. And Dave Meltzer at first like adds to it because he goes on the air, I think on Observer Radio, and says something like, Well, they wouldn't do that if uh you know they didn't have a deal in place. And the next day he's like, Actually, I've been told they don't have a deal in place. <laughs> and it was just Kenny like letting off steam or whatever. And I just thought that was like it's a really interesting one. Because if you again talking about alternate universes, if that was like step one on a long path towards like the Kenny Ibushi blow off or, you know, the new Japan guys showing up to fucking go after Kenny. You know, I do think the, the excitement level will be pretty high. And as you can see in that one little day, so maybe it can still happen someday, but clearly right now uh, it is not going to happen as we can see with the increasingly bitter whole, like uh, they stopped me at the border and tried to ban me from the country thing. Yeah, I, I think people like Dave Meltzer want the AEW New Japan thing to happen like really badly, but just for a variety of factors, you know, the the fact that they're aligned with, you know, Mexican promotions that have hated each other for decades is one, and now the fact that New Japan is running more often than the U.S. I mean, they're basically a competitor in the United States now to a certain degree. So yeah, it's very interesting though. Like that video. I'm not saying that he shouldn't have done it, but it does look really weird when it doesn't have when you don't have any kind of. I mean that that video made like Kenny Ibushi look like, look like the biggest thing, and clearly they don't have any ability to deliver that match. So a little. I, mean, weird. I thought it was I thought, I thought it was a really cool video. It just you know like you said it was was weird. Yeah, it was him being uh you know extra and a little catty, <laughs> and uh, I enjoy that yeah. in my pro wrestling. The real important thing, though, is he should use Megalophania for his theme music all the time because it's much better than what he has. Yeah, his theme music's not very good. I thought it was, I, I thought it was okay the first time I heard it, but like, 
it just sounds okay in comparison because like like so much of the aw theme music is really terrible so yeah, that's, uh, hear- I should I should amend my answer. That's my biggest disappointment with the promotion is almost all the music is bad outside of like Jericho. Uh, Cody is like good in a butt rock way. And then Darby probably has the actual best song. Like almost all the rest of it is just really bad. So Kenny Kenny's like stands out as just being a song that someone clearly put more than five seconds of thought into. But that doesn't mean it's good. So there you yeah. go. Uh, I mean, I, I like Kenny's theme, but I wouldn't disagree with making Megalovania his theme song. Uh, so we talked a while already. Let me tr- see about going. I don't know if we have to go week by week. What's everybody's highlight so far from the Dynamite's run? I mean, I would say my highlight was probably Jericho and Darby, which I thought that that world title match was so awesome. And the build the previous week with Darby, like skateboarding down and kicking his ass was probably still my favorite moment of uh of dynamite so far so if i had to pick one highlight from dynamite that would definitely be it for me yeah my my highlight in short is uh what they've done with darby to this point uh that being like the peak and then now they're moving it into aligning him with cody it seems like but yeah they took a guy in darby who would have been embarrassingly misused in the wwe and would have been doing the cringiest alistair black segments or whatever on that television and like have already turned them into like their obvious star of the future and being a longtime Darby fan. That's been super exciting. Sean, what's your highlight of dynamite so far? Um, in terms of a match or a, I want well, anything, whatever you want. To... Okay. I, I guess, as I, I guess in terms of a match, I would say that the young bucks private party match from the second week is probably my favorite match just because it's sort of very much the kind of wrestling that I enjoy the most, I guess. And they put private party over in a big way. So I'd say that would be my match highlight. And then I guess for outs, like outside of matches, I would say that Chris Jericho has like objectively just been the MVP of this entire show. Like everything he does, you know, promo wise or video wise or whatever has been pretty fantastic. I would say, or even if some of it isn't as good as other stuff he does, I think in general, he's like been the best character on the show yeah that's fair um the one big i don't know we've already done a lot of complaints so i can't say the one big complaint but a complaint i think is uh how fast they did the mjf turn like i I really wish like they had done you know mjf throwing the towel on cody was great i just wish they hadn't done the turn right afterwards i wish they had like drawn it out for a few weeks of like, oh, is MJF, uh, you know, did he throw the towel in because he's an asshole or did he throw it in because, you know, he was concerned for his friend. And I, I think they could have gotten like a solid month out of that at least. That, so that why, that's why like MJF kicking on the balls is probably my least favorite moment because it just feels like they wasted what could have been like a really fun, like, did he do that because he's an asshole he or because he was concerned for his friend type of thing. So. Yeah, I wanted them to wait on that for like a year. I mean, it ended up being pretty well executed when they actually did it with like the drink being thrown at MJF and everything there. But would have been fun. Like MJF was so fun in that will he or won't he sort of position that it was kind of a shame to lose that already. Um, yeah, I don't know if that if I have a, a big disappointment. I guess. Um, I guess the they've I think miss 
prioritized their women to this point. And I think that's mm. another criticism that we've heard all over the place. Uh, but I would not give, they've, they've had, they have so much, they have so little time to begin with. Like they don't have six hours a week. They have two hours a week. Uh, so there's a lot of good things they do like on their Twitter or on their YouTube or whatever that just don't make it onto the television because there's not time. Um, but I think giving so much of the women's time to uh, the Brandy Act, to the uh, Britt Baker Act um, has kind of worked against them in trying to establish that. Uh, but I think their most recent signings of Big Swole and Chris Statlander are like a good indication that they're moving in the right direction on that. That's fair. Sean, do you have any big disappointments over? Um, I guess with the just to touch on the MJF thing briefly, I mean, I certainly agree that they could have dragged it out a little longer, but I'm sort of indifferent on it as well. Like I didn't I didn't mind that they did it then, but I don't disagree that they could have held it off for a little longer. Um I guess as far as disappointments go, um you know, I, I guess to just sort of echo what Nate said, the women's division, some of it has not been good, but I, I think we'll, we'll, maybe we'll talk about the women's division more later on. I, I think it's just more as has had to do with the fact that the certain, certain talents have done better than others. And for me personally, and I, you know, I noticed this like several weeks ago, it's, it's, I think it's pretty clear as to what the, the big difference is. Um, but I, I like, uh, Nate said, I think they are sort of starting to move in the right direction by hiring a uh, better woman to be on the roster and sort of not, or switching the roles of the women who aren't as good, uh, like Allie to a lesser extent and Penelope Ford are now just sort of managers now. They don't really do a lot of wrestling. And- but, they're not, but they're not dropping the Britt Baker post because I hate to tell people she's winning this week. Because one one, uh, what's her name is booked already. Chris Statland is booked on Bar Wrestling, so. Oh, that's uh, well. I, they, I wouldn't put it past them to pull people from from pull people from Bar Wrestling because they have pulled people from other indie dates. Um, mm. But no, I, I don't think the Britt Baker push is stopping either. I think she's earmarked to be a, uh, you know, top level person for them and has been since they started the promotion. Uh, and I she think the, <laughs> the 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 hope with her is that she just. She needs way more reps, and you know, one night a week isn't enough reps. I don't think. Yeah, so. not even one night a week. Mm-hmm. So, right. here's, here, okay. So the, let's talk about the women's division real quick before we move on. Uh, the, I'm really tired of them, of like the critique being, oh, I don't see what's so good about these Joshi wrestlers. It's like you have to understand, you're taking wrestlers out of their own you know, contacts and putting them in an entirely new context. And, you know, some of them are going to be better than others. First of all, Riho's like super fucking over anyway. So the complaint really, and Hikaru is pretty over too. So the mm-hmm. big complaint, I guess, is Emi Sakura. And like, look, Emi Sakura is not wrestling the same way she's going to wrestle on a Gato Move show. And, you know, all three of the Joshi, and really all of them so far, I think, have held back compared to how they wrestle in Japan. You know, they just, they are not hitting each other or hitting other wrestlers nearly as hard as they would in, uh, you know, in Japan. I think that's very clear to anyone who watches any amount of Joshi that they're, you know, they like Riho's like drop kicks. If you watch her and got a move or stardom, like the drop kicks are just way more stiff and stardom than they are here. And Hikaru Shida, same goes for her kicks and stuff. So I don't know. I, I assume that's a directive. I don't know why else they would just do that on their own. But like, you know, two of them have gotten over. Emmy hasn't really gotten over, but 
Emmy might be gone now anyway, but the people who like to beat up on her, it sounds like she might be going back to Japan. But, that is, uh, that's funny that that's the criticism you're tired of hearing because that's one that I've never heard before. Oh, Joe Lanham really hates Emmy. Yeah, I don't engage in uh, in the slack or anything, but I, I do have my, I, I agree that Emmy has not been super well suited for her position because she's doing like fun crowd pleasing hijinks and she's been positioned as a heel in all of her feuds and matches to this point. So I understand like the American crowd is not, either smart enough or uh, uh, well-versed enough in that sort of trickster role to make it get over to the level that you would like to see it get over. Also, she wants people to sing along with her Freddie Mercury stuff and American fans just don't know how to sing. It's not like we have soccer <laughs> culture here. So, Yeah. Yeah. So I, I want to point that out because I've heard that critique. I've, I, I will say, not just from Joe. Like on Twitter, I've seen it too. Like people are like, oh, I don't get the deal about this every soccer person. I'm like, well, you're you're not seeing her in her actual original context. You're seeing her doing a weird Freddie Mercury thing in AEW. It's a little different, but anyway, that's my little rant. Yeah, I I guess for me, like I, I mentioned, the sort of the, the difference that I've noticed with the women's division. For me, it just and like I said earlier, you know, it really um, stuck out to me in the uh, first um, after the first couple weeks. You know. It, Pretty much all of the international talent, with the exception of, I guess, Sadie Gibbs, because her matches on Dark have been like heavily edited, and I think there's, yeah, I think you can look and read into that, you know, what you will. But pretty much all the international talents, save for her, have been all been like universally good. Whereas, you know, and and just for the record, this is excluding the recent signings of Big Swole and Chris Statlander, where. You know, I think the majority of the North American talents that they have signed have generally not been that good. I mean, who, you know, out of that bunch, you know, the original bunch they signed after they lost Kylie Ray, you know, who were the best women in the division from, from you know, stateside, you know? is Would it be like Nyla Rose, maybe? Or it's like who, who, who out of the North American talents – like who is like again before they signed like Big Swole and Chris Statlander like who's who's the best wrestler of that bunch because I I don't think any of them are particularly good. Honestly, having seen like a pretty good amount of them, and uh, I would maybe disqualify Nyla disqualify Nyla because she also worked Joshi. Right. Uh, you know, uh, I think the person who I'd seen have the best matches before AEW started was Allie. Um, but that's also sort of a big grind is my gears segment that I do on the everything elite podcast is like, you kind of have to control for the fact that the WWE killed women's wrestling in the United States for like a generation plus, like you can't, you can't let that go unsaid and be like, Oh, well, why aren't there any good Western women? It's like, Oh, cause the WWE killed women's wrestling, uh, you know, in this hemisphere for my entire adult life. That's why. Okay. So there you go. Um, do we want to talk about the tag division really quick? I, I think that's probably been the highlight, uh, as far as like if anything has been the overwhelming success so far, it's probably been that. And they just have, I mean, they have a million teams, and you know, they've really done a good job picking some good teams to push, like the Lutz Brothers, like Proud and Powerful, you know, the Young Bucks there. Uh, I think it's the one thing on the show that so far that's been like close to a total success so far. And, you know, maybe the Young Bucks are going to win the belts from SCU next week. Maybe they won't. But uh, I think it's uh, – I don't know. I really don't have much to complain about here. 
compared to, and I know I've done a lot of complaining about uh, AEW on this podcast, but uh, I, you know, I think it's been really good and probably, I, I don't know, the, the best tag division in the world, pretty close, if not. Yeah, the uh, tag division I actually was my pick for the most recent episode of our podcast, talking about positives to the promotion, um, because the you know the young bucks are pretty reliable for a pretty entertaining match in whatever position you put them in. The Lucha Brothers are like two individual huge stars who also are very fun as a tag team. Santana and Ortiz are like the most entertaining up and coming act in pro wrestling and have been probably over the last like eighteen months or so. Uh, and then, yeah, you know, private party has all the potential in the world. Uh, they had like the butcher and the blade who, you know, it, uh, what I appreciate about that is they brought them in as a unit, like, and just like maintained that tag team continuity. I just kind of appreciate that respect for the team instead of being like, oh, well, let's pull Andy Williams out of there and do something. Even their jobber team, like John Silver is a pretty good guy to have as like a jobber underneath. Uh, my My maybe criticism here would be, do you want SCU as the champion of that division? <laughs> maybe you don't. Uh, maybe they're, maybe the Luchasaurus injury made them change their bookings in the tag team tournament. Um, but even then, like Scorpio Sky did a pretty good job getting over in that tournament with him being plugged in there. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very positive on the tag team division overall. Yeah, I don't. I mean, SCU is very, very far from my favorite act, but at least, I mean, they're over. So I don't really have a problem with them as tag champions, especially if it ends up being a short term thing. So True. Yeah, I I echo those sentiments. The tag team division has been has been pretty good throughout this entire run so far. Yeah, so not much to complain about there. Uh, going week by week, let's see. I'm looking at the results. I'm trying to see if I can think of my favorite and my least favorite episode. Uh, the episode I think I have as my least favorite was probably a one one that a lot of people loved, which was the post full gear episode. I just remember really hating that show. And that was like the first time I really thought, like, wow, I don't know if I want to keep watching this every week. Because um, I just, I don't know, it just felt like there was like no good wrestling at all. The promos went on forever and were not very interesting. And it was a, it, probably the only week of the show that felt like a total uh, fucking slog to get through. So that was like Dynamite number seven. Um, as far as my favorite episode, I think it was probably the third one in Philly. Because there you have, you have Riho retaining against Burt Baker, which was great. You had the Jericho Darby Street fight, which is my favorite match on television so far by quite a bit. And that tag match is really good too. Page and Omega against Moxley and Pac. Uh, so yeah, that's probably my favorite episode, the third one uh, on October 16th. Uh, anyone else have a favorite or least favorite episode? I really don't. I uh, That that Philly episode does stand out because of the Jericho Darby match. Um, the Moxley and Darby episode from two or uh, from October, late October, October twenty maybe, uh, was also I think a pretty strong episode. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 the, I have not had a episode where I came away from it yet. Going, ah, I wish I hadn't bothered watching that. Like, every, I feel like every episode has at least respected my time, which is the opposite of you know the other major league promotion. Yeah, I mean that was that was the only the, the week I mentioned is the only one I think I really really hated. And even the other shows that are just like a lot of the other episodes have just been kind of there for me, but not, not to the point where I'm just like, oh, I can't never watch this fucking thing again. So, I don't know, Sean, do you have any favorite, least favorite episode thoughts? Um, I I think I I think in hindsight I sort of agree with John with that uh, Nashville episode right after Full Gear. Not 
Really? It seemed like everybody else loved that episode. Well, I, 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 well, well to, be, to, to be clear for me, like I, I don't think there's been a bad episode. They, I, I think they've all been good, just varying degrees of good, I think. Um, I, I think I, I, I would put that as the least only because it didn't have you know, a ton of really standout matches. Like, I'm just looking at it on Cage Match right now. And they had, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six matches. And three of them were, like, really, like, squash matches. Um, I guess the best match on that show uh, was the pocket and a page match, which I don't know if this is a hot take, but I think that match was probably the best of their entire series, at least for me. Or maybe it, it's close between that match and the full gear match, but I thought it was... It was a very good match, but um, I, I liked the promo stuff on that show. I guess it's just that the, the in-ring wasn't, you know, there's there's nothing really stand out, at least for me. Um, as far as the best, um, some of them have already been said already. The, the Philly episode was pretty good with the Darby Street fight. Um, I really liked the second episode where they had, you know, the private party Young Bucks match and the introduction of the Inner Circle. Um Anything that sort of ended, anything that's had like one of those inner circle like brawl segments to end the show has been pretty good. Um, I remember the Nashville, not the Nashville one, the Charlotte episode right before Full Gear that had that wild brawl to end the show. I uh, I really enjoyed that. And I think as far as like in ring, I think an underrated one is probably uh, Week Eight in in uh, Indianapolis because that had the uh, Ray Phoenix Dick Jackson match in the opener. And then you also had John Moxley and Darby Allen in the main event. Um, the rest of the stuff in that show sort of looks a little middling, but it's, you know, it started off and ended with two great matches on that show. Uh, and I do want to say, too, one last thing before we move on to awards. Full Gear, not a good show. Was not a fan. So uh, that always, you know, Moxley and Omega kind of saved it to a degree, but the rest of that show was not very into it. And oh, I can't believe I forgot to mention this until now. Please, for the love of God, stop pushing Ten Guy. That's my next big complaint after Brandy. Please get him the fuck off my television. I cannot stand that man. He's not a good heel. He's not entertaining. He doesn't make me want to see someone get his ass kicked. He just makes me want to fucking turn the TV off. So please stop with Ten Guy. No more Sean Spears. Thank you. Uh, because I saw his name on the full care card. And again, I'm reminded they used a fucking pay-per-view spot to put Sean Spears over Joey Janela. You fucking sucks. Enough with Ten Guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, any other thoughts on Full Gear? Anything else before I move on to the awards? No, I mean I I did like Full Gear. Honestly, the Omega match was like not my favorite part of it. I thought it kind of meandered. Um, but I really enjoyed the undercard of that match with the Young Bucks and Santana Ortiz match, and then that had my favorite pack versus page match on it. Uh, I just really enjoyed myself watching that show. So take that. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I liked Full Gear as well, though. I will say that I think up until it, it, I, th- I think it really needed those last three matches to be great. If those last, like uh, the women's match, uh, Cody and Jericho, and then the main event, I think if those three matches just did not like deliver at all, then I think we would have been looking at that show a lot differently. All right, so that means we're going to move over to the awards. So for these awards, either Ring of Honor or AEW is eligible, obviously, if anyone wants to try, try to argue Ring of Honor was uh, a winner in anything. I'm gonna, first of all, uh, I will say for Match of the Year, 
I thought about trolling and saying my favorite Ring of Honor AEW match of the year is Tetsuya Naito versus Kota Ibushi from the G1 <laughs> Supercard because it would win by by a mile. But I'm gonna take I'm gonna say the New Japan stuff on G1 Supercard is not eligible, so I can do a top five of you know pretty much an AEW top five because I don't have anything for Ring of Honor that cracked this top five. So, uh, do you guys both have a top five as well? Yes. yes. Okay. So start out with fifth place. Uh, in fifth, I have a match that was divisive. The first ever AEW world title match, Chris Jericho versus Hangman Page from August 31st at the Sears Center at All Out. Uh, I went four stars flat in this match. I thought it was pretty awesome. Um, I got a lot of the critiques about it, but I thought it was a, you know, it, it had that like big fight feel to it. And even though the crowd was not very into it after the, you know, ladder match craziness. They they won the crowd over by the end, which was you know always good to see. And I really I, I thought it was you know really well paced and really well laid out. And you know I didn't really get. I mean I thought it blew away the Jericho Omega match from Double or Nothing, which I didn't think was that great. But this of, of Jericho's uh, I guess three pay per view matches this is by far my favorite. So Jericho versus Page, all out number five. Uh, Sean, what do you have for number five match of the year? Uh, number five for me is the uh, lights out match between John Moxley and Kenny Omega from Full Gear. Okay, and uh, what do you have at five here, Nate? Five, I have the Joshi Trios match from Double or Nothing: uh, Hikaru Shida, Riho, and Ryo, Ryo Mizunami versus Aja Kong, Emi Sakura, and uh, Yuka Sakazaki. Um, I was putting, I couldn't decide between which Riho match basically to put in here. Because uh, I've really enjoyed a lot of her matches, the Nyla Rose match, and then the triple threat with Nyla and Yuka were all like top line. Um, but this this trio's match, I thought, because of the crowd reaction and because of the atmosphere, put it above the rest of them. Uh, in fourth place, I have the AW World Title Street Fight, which I realize now is actually my second favorite match on Dynamite because there's a match I have right there. But it was Chris Jericho versus Darby Allen from Dynamite Number Three. October 16th in Philadelphia. I went four stars flat on this as well. Uh, just an awesome wild brawl. Uh, you know, a 15-minute match, so it actually got some time. You know, this one of the highlights of the... Because the, the television to me isn't been a, hasn't been a ton filled with, like, four-star matches. It's been a lot more like three or three and a half and sometimes even lower. But this was, like, one of the best matches they've had on their TV so far. Uh, what do you have for, uh, for fourth place, Sean? Uh, my number fourth... Uh, my fourth place match is Young Bucks versus the Lucha Bros from Double or Nothing. Okay. And Nate, fourth place? Number four, I also have Chris Jericho versus Darby Allen, the Dynamite Street Fight. All right. Third place, I have a match you just mentioned, Hikaru Shida, Riho, and Ryu Mizunami versus Aja Kong, Emi Sakura, and Yuka Sakazaki from Double or Nothing. Again, four stars flat for me. Uh, you just talked about it, so no reason to keep going into it, but I thought this was a great match. Uh, Sean, third place? My third place match is uh, the Young Bucks versus Private Party from AEW Dynamite Episode 2 on October 9th. And Nate? Number three, I have the Lucha Brothers versus Young Bucks ladder match from All Out. Uh, unlike Sean, I am not very high on ladder matches and pretty much hate them. Uh, and I was not looking forward to this match at all, but it totally won me over and blew me away. I do also hate ladder matches, so <laughs> that one's not on my list. Uh, number two, 
Emi Sakura and Jamie Hayter versus Riho and Shauna from Dynamite number six on November 6th in Charlotte. And with four and a quarter, I thought this was an awesome match. And this is the best TV match. I've totally forgot about it when I talked about Jericho and Darby being the best TV match they've done so far. But I believe this was Shauna's debut when she really just like, you know, just like jumped off the screen right away. Uh, Jamie Hayter's awesome. You know, it's someone I've always really loved from stardom. And this was just an awesome, awesome tag match. The best thing on Dynamite so far. Uh, go ahead, Sean. Number two. Uh, my number two match is uh, the brother versus brother match from Double or Nothing, Cody versus Dustin Rhodes. And go ahead, Nate. Number two. Number two, I have from Full Gear, Chris Jericho versus Cody. Uh, was a super entertaining match with Cody landing on his face. Uh, and then the super hot angle afterward. And my number one match is Cody versus Dustin Rhodes from Double or Nothing on May 25th. Uh, this is my only four and a half star match in AEW so far. I thought this was incredible. You know, the the blood really elevated it. and But you also still had like Dustin doing a fucking, was it a Canadian Destroyer or a Sunset Flip Powerbomb or something? I think it was a Sunset Flip Powerbomb. But either way, it was incredible. Uh, and just like very old school type of match, but like, you know, just it really, really worked. And, you know, the crowd was so into it and it elevated it to like another level. So this is my clear cut AEW match of the year. And I guess better than anything I've seen in Ring of Honor. Go ahead, Sean. What's your number one? Okay. So my number one match for AEW this year is the ladder match from All Out between the, the Lucha Brothers and the Unbucks. Um, I, I, like Nate said, I, I do still like ladder matches, but it very much depends on who's in the ladder match, I guess you could say. And, you know, I love both the Unbucks and the Lucha Brothers, so it sort of, like, fit right in my right in my zone, I guess. And I guess just for the record, um, for my match, for my top five, uh, two through five, I had it all at four and a half, and the ladder match was four and three quarters for me. All right. Nate, number one? Number one, I also have Cody Rhodes versus Dustin Rhodes, brother versus brother for double or nothing. Um, I don't do star ratings really. My only star ratings are how memorable something is to me, whether it sticks in my memory or not. Uh, this is probably a match that I will remember for the rest of my life, being that I was on the first AEW show and it was super good. So in that regard, it was a five-star perfect match. Uh, all right. So up next, we'll do best major show. Uh, third place, I have All Out. Uh, second place, I went with Double or Nothing. And first place, I broke my own rule and gave it to G1 Supercard because as bad as the RH half was, I would still take the New Japan half over any AEW major show. Go ahead, uh, Sean, I guess give your whole top three. Um, So I guess we, we can include uh, Dynamite episodes if we so choose. No, no Dynamite episodes. Oh, no Dynamite right? episodes? Okay. Yeah. Um, in that case, I think my number three is going to be Fighter Fest. Uh, number two would be All Out, and number one would be Double or Nothing. Okay. All so right. Had eight. Uh, number three also Fighter Fest. Number two I had Full Gear, and number one I had Double or Nothing. Uh, for Best Feud, I went. I had real trouble coming up with a third place, so I went with Cody and Dusted against the Young Bucks because. I was very entertained by some of those segments on YouTube where, like, you know, the the Cody and Dustin felt like Young Bucks were mocking them or whatever. That was pretty funny. Uh, second, they went with Cody versus Dustin. You know, that was 
just a, a great little mini feud leading to double or nothing. And in first place, I went with what I think is a pretty clear choice here, which is Chris Jericho versus Cody. Uh, really just like, you know, made those first few uh, weeks of TV and really made it very entertaining. So, Sean? All right. So I uh, had a little trouble coming up with a third best feud as well. So I ended up going with uh, the Young Bucks versus Proud and Powerful, uh, sort of part of the whole elite inner circle feud. But I've, I've enjoyed mo- pretty much all of the stuff that they've done so far um, with that. Uh, number two, I went with uh, Lucha Brothers and the Young Bucks just because they, uh, for me, they had, it was a feud that just had like great matches throughout. And I didn't mention it because it wasn't in my top five, but. I also really enjoyed the uh, Lucha Brothers and uh, Laredo Kid versus the Elite match from Fighter Fest. So you can include that as that as part of that overall feud as well. Like to me, they just had the best matches as far as the feud went. And then number one, I also have Cody and Jericho just for their you know how it really carried that first you know six weeks of TV, and you know just all the stuff that they did was pretty good. And the Jericho. Uh, for me, the highlight of the whole thing was the Jericho parody video they did, which was pretty hilarious. Nate? All right. I am pretty much the same. Uh, number three, I had Young Bucks versus Lucha Bros. Uh, great matches. Number two, I put the Young Bucks versus Santana and Ortiz here. Uh, just great to see Santana and Ortiz get to show all their shit on such a big stage. And number one, Chris Jericho versus Cody. Uh, tag team of the year. I went with the best friends in third. I, again, I didn't have a lot, a lot of trouble picking a third place here, so whatever. I went with the Young Bucks in second, and I went with the Lucha Bros in first. I uh, could exchange those two easily, but I just like the Lucha Bros slightly more. So there you go. Sean? Uh, so we're doing top three for tag teams, right? Yeah. Okay. So third, I would have uh, Proud and Powerful, Santana and Ortiz. Um, first and second is interesting for me because I have Lucha Brothers in second and Young Bucks in first. But if we were talking just in like in the Observer Award sense of overall throughout the year, I would have Lucha Brothers well above the Young Bucks just because the Young Bucks didn't wrestle for the first five months of the year outside of Wrestle Kingdom. But uh, I guess if we're just talking AEW exclusively, then Young Bucks for sure for me are the tag team of the year. Yeah, I'm uh, exactly the same, I think. Uh, number three, I have Santana and Ortiz. Uh, number two, I put the Lucha Brothers. Uh, but yeah, that, if we're just looking at it from AEW exclusively, I have to put the Young Bucks at number one because they've anchored so many great Dynamite segments that the Lucha Brothers just haven't had the opportunity to do. Uh, most Outstanding Wrestler, um, I went with the Karoshita in third. Chris Jericho in second, which might be surprising to people, but I thought... He is the only he's the only wrestler other than uh I guess Riho and Sheeta to appear twice on my match of the year list. So I just gave it to him. And I went with Riho in first. I think she's been the the best uh in-ring wrestler in AEW so far. Am I going Sean? next? Yeah, go ahead, Sean. Okay. Um so I uh, just just to just to go a little uh, inside here. I did not have this uh, entire list prepared for me, or I didn't properly prepare just because I was working. Like I said earlier, I was working on the uh, 
or I might have mentioned earlier, I was working on the uh, final battle review for most of the day, so I didn't really have the chance to really, like really like think about it. But I think I'm gonna put like a little. I have a little cobbled list here together. So uh, number three, I'm actually gonna give it to Chris Statlander, just because I think she's been like objectively like I guess objectively the best North American woman on the roster, and. I think she has the potential to really fill the hole that Kylie Ray left when she, you know, mysteriously disappeared from the promotion. Um, and I, and I really think that she has the chance to be like the, the top like women's star in AEW if they use her right. Um, number two, I actually have not both young bucks, but just Nick Jackson. And that's solely based off the match he had with Phoenix on dynamite. That I thought was spectacular. And just, you know, we've seen the Unbucks teaming for so long. And like they mentioned on TV, like they haven't wrestled singles matches in like, uh, up until that point, they hadn't wrestled a singles match since Best of the Super Juniors, like years and years ago. So I think that match sort of showed that, oh yeah, these these, these guys can totally do singles matches if they wanted to. Um, and then number one, just because I think he's, you know, as far as like spectacular wrestlers goes, he's one of the best out there like i put phoenix number one just because anytime you put him on a match on tv i'm like glued to the television just to see what he does because he's just he's just an incredible talent and sort of you know it's sort of annoying that like in the observer wars he sort of gotten miffed for like best high flyer in favor of will osprey and like kodabushi and those people like not not to say that they those aren't great high flyers because they absolutely are but you watch phoenix and man that guy is He's a he's a special wrestler. All right, Nate. All right, I put uh, Riho at number three. I had Ray Phoenix actually at number two. Uh, Nick Jackson, of course, also a very good worker, but he just didn't have the singles opportunities that Phoenix did. And number one, uh, because I'm a huge Mark Darby Allen. All right, wrestler of the year. So this would like include MVP that kind of thing. Uh, with Riho in third, uh, I thought she got way over as women as their women's champion, more than I would have ever guessed. And, you know, she's had a lot of great matches. Cody in second, uh, he's been a great babyface ace for them, even if I'm not personally into many of his matches at all other than the dusted one. Uh, but he does have a four-and-a-half-star match going for him, I guess, which is more than you can say in New Japan. And Chris Jericho in first, because, again, he's led the company as champion. His promos have been the best thing on the show. And, you know, he's had some surprisingly good matches, along with some that, again, I wasn't as into, like the Kenny and the uh, Jericho match, the Scorpio Sky match. But, you know, as far as this, this company is not a work rate company, especially not for me personally. So I can overlook it and say he's clearly the AEW wrestler of the year, even though I don't think he's going to sniff my overall list. Sean? Okay, so number three for me is John Moxley. Um, you know, some of his stuff on Dynamite has been squashes, but I feel like when he's been given the opportunity, um, you know, to have great matches, he's had great matches. And then just in general, like just him, like showing up and like giving AEW all this like added buzz that, it, you know, it just added to what the, but to the buzz that they already had, um, makes him an easy number three for me. Um, number two is Cody sort of, you know, self-explanatory. You know, this year really made me, you know, look back at his Ring, Ring of Honor run and realize that he was totally miscast in Ring of Honor as a heel. Like, 
how has this guy like not been a baby face? You know, how is he not a baby baby face during that Ring of Honor run? I don't know because he's he's you know great at it, um, and he's like like I think you mentioned he's clearly been like the best baby face in the promotion. And then you know number one is Chris Jericho. I mean, he's been like the clear MVP, and I would you know I would sort of question anyone who doubts that he's the MVP of this promotion just because everything he does is, you know, or I guess 99% of the things he does is like, are like fantastic. Um, and it just, just makes me think that I think I'm not the first person to mention this, but like this, it's crazy that we were sort of denied like this sort of creative freedom, Chris Jericho in WWE for so long. And it's like, man, imagine how good this guy could have been if he, in all those years in WWE have been given like just more creative freedom and the sort of creative freedom that he has in AEW. Like everyone like considers him an all time great, but he could, he could have been like even more, more so if he had been like had that creative freedom for a lot longer. Yeah. That, I mean, that really goes for all three of those guys. Those are my picks too. Just like amazing to see them with a new coat of paint having, been released from the WWE and being free to do the wrestling they want to do. So yeah, I have three, John Moxley, two, Cody, one, Chris Jericho. All right. Uh, so that'll do it for the awards. Let's go over to the questions. Uh, same thing I said last week. If your question was pretty much already covered, uh, and that's why I'm skipping it. Sorry, I apologize in advance if I did skip your question. Um, let's see. Uh, John, um, before you go into the questions, I just want to make a quick note because I, I do have uh, I, I have TLC on my phone, and I just want to make bring this up that they're doing a uh, Viking Raiders uh, Guns and Gallows match where they had a I'm not joking they had a people a group of people sitting at a KFC table at ringside eating like KFC, and now they have put they are putting Carl Anderson through a KFC table. All right, really, um, really plugging the KFC. Uh, let's see, at Love Songwriter, do you? Th- think woman of honor is dead in the water division or can it be saved i think it's dead in the water division i don't really think what i don't think anything very much could be saved. i mean look every pretty much every question we got was some variation of like is there anything that, we, that can be done to save ring of honor or what could they have done differently after the elite left and i'm skipping all of those because i think we kind of covered that already and i don't really think there's anything ring of honor could do but specifically woman of honor i mean that's that's never been anything and that i don't it, there just isn't enough talent out there on the, you know, like it's all signed basically. And they don't do a good enough job with the people they bring in anyway. So I just think it's, I don't know. I think it's completely dead in the water and they will never, you know, I mean, they, they have a hard enough time recovering anything as far as even like men's wrestling. I don't think you can really expect them to get the women's division right ever. Yeah. They didn't get that right in the best of times. In other words. So, you know, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Now. Actually, you know, and this is something that I, you know, talked about when I, you know, first uh, started writing for Voices of Wrestling, where I was sort of doing these, like, Ring of Honor, like, started as TV reviews, but then just turned into columns, and I think the one week they did a Women of Honor episode, I sort of, and this is, like, three and a half years ago, I was talking about the problems where it's, you know, first of all, it's it's just been, that division has just been stop and start so many times that it's hard to take it, you know, it's hard to take it seriously. Like, they, they tried to do it in the in the golden years and it just didn't work out and then they tried to do it and and this is something people forget they actually tried to do it in i don't want to say 2013 
where they had where they had uh, mischief and uh, Athena, who is the current uh, Emperor Moon in WWE, as sort of the the heads of the division, and then they pushed it for a couple months, and then they just dropped it like out of nowhere. And with the one that they have going now, you know, started a couple years ago. Uh, I just think part of the problem is that, and I, I said this at the time, is that they had the opportunity to use talent that could have been good, but they just didn't like pick them up. Like uh, people don't realize this, but like, they brought in Heidi Lovelace, you know, uh, Ruby Riot at one point, and they had to wrestle a match. They brought in uh, Kimberly when I when people considered her good prior to her WWE signing. They like used Kansas LeRae for a couple of shows, and she actually had sort of a a mini feud with Kelly Klein uh, at one point. So like they had the opportunity to like get good talent. And instead they went with, oh, let's go with Mandy Leon and like some other people who are just sort of average, like Kelly Klein. And, you know, they just didn't, they, the opportunity was there to get the right people and they just did not, they either like whiffed on them or like just chose wrestlers who were like objectively like worse than them. So yeah, there you go. I, uh, I don't, I don't think it could, I don't think it could be saved at this point. And by the way, I should mention that when they did the uh, Maria Manic Angelina Love match at Final Battle, they made zero mention of the Women of Honor title. So <laughs> who knows what they're doing with that? Um, she also asked, and this is a question I'd love to ask Nate because I know you watch it. Do you think BTE is helping or hindering AEW's story progression? Um, I guess helping it. I don't see that it's hindering it. Um, the most recent like storyline development they've done on there, I think, was Paige uh, going his own way and basically telling the elite he wasn't going to be with them anymore. And I thought they did a good job of threading that needle on TV last week where they made it. So if you had seen that on BTE, it made sense to you that Paige and Omega weren't really getting along. But they also made it make sense if you hadn't seen that on BTE. So it worked either way. So I don't know about stories in particular that it's like you know, uh, uh, really helping them one way or the other, but it's making people more invested in the characters. And I think that's really uh, a larger aim anyway. I think I will say, I think there's too much. Some of the stuff I hear happen in BTE. It does in this doesn't even just go for BTE. It goes for everything. Like there's BTE, there's dark, there's Twitter promos. It just feels like there's way too much extra shit other than dynamite. And like, I get it. Cause they only have two hours, but like, a couple weeks back, I, I think it was the first time, um, what's his name, Excalibur just dropped on in the middle of a match on commentary. He's like, "Oh yeah, by the way, Hangman Page left the Elite." I had not watched BTE, and I, you know, I, I, I tune in occasionally, but not that often. So I was like, "Excuse me, he left what?" And I think a lot of people watching may have had that reaction because it's, it's just like, "What the fuck are you talking about? When did he leave the Elite?" I watch this show every week, and that just that just happened apparently. So. You know, I, I'm sure if you're watching BTE, it makes more sense. And I, I'm not sure what the, you know, what the solution is. Either just not having Excalibur just drop random nuggets from BTE, like we're all supposed to know what the fuck he's talking about. But like, it is very, very like jarring sometimes. That was a really easy example for me as the the Hangman Page one, where it's like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. As far as I know, he's he never left the elites, but apparently that's the thing that happened on YouTube. So. I yeah, know. I don't think there's really a solution because the the solution is don't do extra things, and that's kind of a 
back you're kind of just shooting yourself in the foot like oh let's yeah. not have more fun stuff for the people that are really into it to tune into and spend uh, attention and money on or whatever um so you know i think the price of having an announcer tell you a fact about something that happened like is a fine price to pay for that like so you know you were jarred about it and maybe you had to look up what happened like not the worst thing in the world I just wouldn't do something that big on BTE, I guess. But I don't know. It, it's not as bad as it was when in New Japan, where it felt like you had no goddamn idea what was going on in that Bullet Club Civil War shit if you weren't watching BTE. Whereas here, it's you know, it's more. I feel like they are a little more uh, low key about what's actually happening on BTE versus you know just the weekly TV show. It's probably because they're actually producing all of it and it, it all kind of fits together a little better. But like. It's just still very jarring. So I hope they, I, I would say, avoid stuff that big on BTE, maybe. Uh, let's see. At Surinale, uh, do you think ranks and win-loss records have been a positive for AEW? I don't think it's been a negative or a positive. I don't even think it's really mattered. I mean, I've, I never pay attention to the rankings. I don't care about the rankings. Uh, it just it, it, it hasn't made any fucking difference to me. Might as well not even have it. They annoy me. They uh, so I like the rankings are fine. Like I don't mind doing a little ranking on a week to week basis. Like and they can base it off their own stats or whatever. It seems like it matches up with Elo scores pretty closely. But the win loss records being so prominent all the time just like forces the viewer to pay attention to them. And I don't think they have the storytelling value that they think they have or something. Like especially when you have you know, oh, here's our top five rankings. And the person in third is like three and three and everybody has like a 500 record. It's like, it just makes people seem, it makes the booking seem more 50-50 than it is, or it makes people seem more interchangeable than they should be. And I think you're just calling too much attention to it. I think they should use it where appropriate or when it helps the story they're telling them. Like, you know, when's John Moxley, you can say, oh, by the way, John Moxley's basically undefeated, except that he walked out in a tag match. Like, that works in your favor, whereas the rest of the time it's just like begging the viewer to disagree with it. Uh, anything yeah, to add, I would Sean? Say the record, um, I guess I would say the records, sort of a similar thing. I think, like, I don't mind the records. I just think that the way they sort of like work around them could be like tweaked a little bit. Um, like one thing I noticed is that like there was a big, uh, uh, a big, uh, I guess, argument or whatever regarding the fact that um chris statlander and Britt baker are having a number one contenders match this week when they were i think at last check like when they announced the match they were like three and four or something like that but if you look at like the dark results like they both won matches on that show or on the dark that was taped that's being aired on tuesday and so when you look at those matches like okay they both won matches and then they both moved up because Karushita didn't wrestle and Nyla is suspended. So in, in that regard, it makes sense. But but then I, I guess part of that might you might want to like consider like changing the date that you release the ranking release the rankings. Because again, with, with the knowledge of the dark results, you're like, okay, that makes a little more sense. But like just watching it on Dynamite and seeing them announce that match as a number one contenders match when they're like four and five or three and four or whatever. And Karoshida, who's number one, isn't included at all. That's just, that's just a bad look. So I guess maybe like just like, maybe I don't know if they have to just have to change the date when they release the rankings or I think they could, again, 
I generally I think AEW is doing a very good job. They just need to make a lot of different like small tweaks, and I think they can improve a lot of things, including the ranking. Stuart Iverson says, "Which wrestlers have ROH wasted the most this year?" Uh, he said one of them was uh, probably not the worst one, but having Mayu as Ring of Honor champion and letting Stardom do more at the belt than you do seems like a mistake. Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, who have they wasted the most? I don't. That you could, you could argue like half the fucking roster. I would say Jeff Cobb probably because what has he done since uh, losing that fucking you know main event to Taven in like eight minutes, and he was one of the few guys who on your roster that's actually over and. One of the few guys that like still has that New Japan connection, which you know means added credibility. So I don't know. I guess I go with Jeff Cobb off the top of my head. Um, I guess I would say Jeff Cobb. I mean, again, you could probably go with a lot of different people. Um, but you know, the fact that they build him up as undefeated, and then he loses to Matt Taven in like a totally like flat match in the main event of a pay per view, that's just like, and not only that, but like he. On the last since that loss on the last two pay per views, he's been in like the free pre show match. Like he hasn't even been on the actual pay per view. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. It's uh, crazy. They, I, other people, I guess they could have done more with Bandito and people like Mark Haskins. But again, I think, and I, I, I feel really bad for the Lifeblood guys because when you know Juice and uh, when Juice left and you know Dashwood left and then David Finlay had his injury. That sort of sort of left those guys sort of high and dry without any real sort of purpose other than like getting repeatedly beaten up by villain enterprises on every show. So yeah, I, it, that that whole thing like it was really a contrast of like they put together the end of last year, sort of this year, they put together like two like totally like random stables of people, and like one of them villain enterprises has like clearly worked, and the other one just fell apart and did not work at all. Uh, My answer is, uh, is Vinny kingdom. They should push Vinny kingdom more. <laughs> okay. They are pushing Vinny kingdom more. Yeah. Well, but they, they should, should do even more and they should have been doing it sooner. Uh, so let's see here. The, the people asking about like ring of Honor's history and all that, that's a lot longer than we have time to go into right now. So I apologize to both of you um, uh, at Rich. I, I don't. I, I don't. I don't want to give answers to that because that, that would take so long. Oh well, yeah. I. But I just want to make a quick comment <laughs> if I can. I would just say that, and this is a thought that I've had for a while. I think. I think it's really interesting that uh, Ring of Honor has, when you look at it, has sort of followed the paths of sort of both in in ways both Noah and All Japan, which is kind of interesting as well because those two promotions are sort of from the same sort of family family tree, I guess you could say, where you know. If you if you think about it, I guess you could say that like when Sinclair bought Ring of Honor, uh, the the Ring of Honor that like we all knew and loved pretty much died at that point and it became sort of a new promotion, even though it was technically the same thing. And that's I guess sort of what happened with All Japan too, where they sort of like the All Japan today is not technically the All Japan that was like around in like the nineties and like with Masawa and Kobashi and all that. And then like with Noah, like ROH and Noah were arguably the like two most critically acclaimed promotions of the mid two thousands. And, you know, you know, both of them now, I mean, look at, look at where they are now. They're not. Well, no, one's, no one's had a good year. Well, I mean, they're not, well, I mean that in the sense that like, they are like nowhere near what they want. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Uh, I just want to stand up for Noah. 
<laughs> Rich Lada 32 has anything angered the Fed Defense Squad more than AEW? I think the answer to this is clearly no. I don't really know what else even could theoretically anger them more. They really hate the fact that there's like another American wrestling company on major league television. So it's it's either AEW or the New York 64. Yeah, either one of those two. Uh, it's been a I don't know like a lot. So many people just have lost their fucking mind since AEW started. Like people, I never would have guessed. Even some people I very much would have guessed, but some people I never would have guessed. So it's, I think uh, part of that too it just go, is just because that you know say what you will about AEW and there's a lot to criticize about AEW, but you know the their existence has like just you know, further exposed, like, how bad WWE is. Like, if, if there's no AEW, like, we know that WWE's not good right now, but, like, AEW has just shined a brighter light on it and, like, makes them look even worse than they do. And I'm sure the, the Fed Defense Squad isn't really happy about that. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, that, they, they're such a weird bunch anyway because it's, like, they will tell you in one side of their mouth that, like, everything's going great and you know, the ratings and following and the uh, network numbers being down. I One of them actually said to me the other day, like, the network numbers being down is a Brian Alvarez myth. And I was just like, why don't you, why don't you just yell, like, fake news at me? That would seem like it would be a lot faster and easier for both of us. But no, I'm like, they're simultaneously, like, you know, they're super convinced that everything WWE does is great and awesome and, you know, you don't got anything to worry about. But then they're also, like, very angry all the time on Twitter and constantly getting at other people's mentions to yell about WWE and it's like everybody can kind of see through you you know like I I think New Japan's had a great year my favorite year of New Japan in many years I am not in the mentions of anyone who says New Japan sucks or fucking terrible it's, it's their worst year ever I'm not in their mentions because I don't fucking care and because I'm like you know uh I'm perfectly happy with the fact that if you like New Japan great if you don't like New Japan, great. If you, I love DDT. If someone says DDT sucks, who fucking cares? I know I don't think it sucks. I don't really got to argue with you. But like the WWE people are so, I mean, they've always been hyper defensive, but it's gotten to such a level now. It's like we can all see through you. We know that you're this hyper defensive because you also know it's bad. If you didn't also know it's bad, you wouldn't be fucking, I wouldn't have New Jersey Nick. In my goddamn mentions, uh, screaming at me. So that's why if if W fans want to take any the W defense squad wants to take any advice from me, stop caring about what other people say. And if you really love it so much, just go go love it as much as you want quietly away from my mentions. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, anyway, let's see. I don't know why you mentioned New Jersey Nick. Not that I'll ever listen to this, but fuck that guy. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad I popped, I popped my girlfriend in the background. That's I bad. have no, by the way, John, I have no idea who that is. No one, if you want to like see some comedy, you can check them out. Uh, at Empress Consort says, Why did Ring of Honor have Woman of Honor in the first place? They weren't going to put any time or resources into it and clearly had no interest in making it important or mean anything. Why even have the division at all and they clearly didn't want it? They felt like they had to, I guess. I don't know what other answer there is. They felt like, women's divisions are a big thing now and they had to do it i don't really yeah. know there's no real other answer as far as i can tell yeah but by, by the time they like created the women title i mean they had 
the Stardom connection, and they, and they used some Stardom wrestlers. But you know, like like I mentioned earlier, like they had the opportunity several years ago to you know sign some people who are on the WWE roster right now, and they just didn't do it. And they and they even were using some people pretty frequently, like Diana Perrazzo. I mean, you know, she's a technically sound wrestler, and she had potential to be a, a top star in the division once they created the title, but they uh, they just didn't go anywhere with it, and she left. And, oh, by the way, one note from that I saw from the TV taping today. So you know how uh, Maria Manic uh, on the pay-per-view basically, like, like, totally destroyed Angelina Love? Well, they did a segment on the TV where uh, Bully Ray came out and put her through a table. So yeah, well, you know, <laughs> gotta get that, gotta get that Bully Ray youngster over. And, and, and right. Teddy Hart was in the front row apparently and watched his girlfriend get like destroyed. <laughs> uh, so let's say I looking through the Discord questions and uh, the Super J Cast questions are pretty much the exact same thing we've already talked about. The uh, you know. How can Ring How can Ring of Honor get back to relevancy or whatever? They can't. The end. Uh, let's see <laughs> if there's anything on the Voices of Wrestling server. Um, yes, I think a lot of stuff we had. Like, you have no idea how many fucking questions we got. <laughs> like, uh, they're basically just like, what the fuck, Ring of Honor? What could they have done differently? Blah, 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 blah. So a lot of questions like that. I think the best option for Ring of Honor right now, honestly, is just hope that that uh, Anthem buys them, because I, I feel like that right now in America, there's like that glut of promotions, sort of like below, sort of below AEW and New Japan USA, like MLW and Impact and Ring of Honor. Like it, it just feels like that those promotions are should be just better served to be to like join forces and just be one promotion. And they would all be but, better off for it. But this is this is what people said about like Noah and all Japan and Russell One and all the and Zero One. Well, I said for, like, that yesterday. Yeah, but like that never happens. So I doubt that I doubt this will happen either. But, I mean, I guess you know if theoretically you know Ring of Honor or to sort of or Sinclair decided if they wanted to get rid of it, Ring of Honor. Uh, in that instance, I guess the best option for them would be you know I'm sure Anthem would love the content. So I guess that would be their best option as opposed to, you know, seeing Ring of Honor on the WWE network. Uh, okay. And let's see here. A couple questions. Carl says, uh, who is your favorite wrestler in current ROH? And maybe one match they could recommend for me to watch from 2019 ROH. Uh, the only match I can tell you that I haven't even watched, I keep forgetting to watch it. People say that Briscoe's versus... Russian Dragon Lee match is really good. I, I keep forgetting to watch it, but apparently that's like the match of the year. So Yeah, I heard the same things. I think that match is on YouTube. I could be wrong, yeah. uh, but it, it is out there to watch. Um, another, I don't know if this is a, like a match of the year contender or anything. It's, it's definitely not for Ring of Honor, but one match that I also heard was very good. I think there was a, a four-way back in April that had, let me see. It had, I think it had Flip Gordon, PJ Black, uh, Bandito and uh, Caristico, who was the original Sin Cara. Uh, I heard that was pretty good. I think that was on the Masters of the Craft show back in April. Um, and then I would say actually go back and watch some of the uh, Briscoe's G.O.D. matches. I particularly enjoyed their uh, Ladder War from the Summer Supercar 
And I think the match in, that they did in New York where they did the title switch, where the Briscoes won the titles back, I recall hearing that that was pretty good as well. Uh, it's, it's hard for me to say because, again, I really haven't, like I mentioned earlier, this is like the least I've watched Ring of Honor in a year. Just, you know, part of that is because the product hasn't been that good. But part of it, too, is just that, you know, you know, AEW has taken up more of my time. So it's... Uh, what, I, what I will say, first of all, is both I saw both those matches, the G.O.D. Briscoe's matches. I cannot recommend either one. That's my personal take, but uh, they were fine. On, on the point uh, of Caristico, I just want to endorse Caristico for best on interviews. He always wishes a good night to Arena Puebla. Vote Caristico. <laughs> okay. Who's our favorite wrestler of honor, by the way? That was the other part of the question. Um, I, I, I can't even think. I guess Roosh? I don't know. <laughs> I guess Bandito, is fun. I guess Bandito is the most exciting wrestler in Ring of Honor, so I guess I would say Bandito. I'll, I'll round you. it out and say Dragon Lee. All right. Uh, and then Carl also wants says "fuck Mary Kill, Kenny, Cody, and the Bucks." Ooh. Uh, I am gonna fuck the Young Bucks, Mary Kenny, because Kenny and I have a lot of interest. Uh, you know. We have a lot of interest, like uh, crossover. So, I'm sure he and I would be a very happy couple. And we just won't talk about his wrestling, I guess. And Cody is who I would kill, unfortunately. Sorry, Cody, you're you're out of here. Um, I guess I would go with the same choices. Um, as much as I like Cody's promos, I really enjoy Kenny as a wrestler. So. He's, See now, you are you going to be able to handle all the weeaboo talk though with Kenny? Because you know he's going to want to talk about Yuri on Ice. I don't know if I can handle the gamer talk. That's actually going to be the the biggest problem. See, now, but uh, but the weeaboo talk I can handle. Now that she's now that you say that, um, Cody comes off to me as more of like a nerd of like American culture. Like I know he's a big Star Wars nerd, and I could I guess talk to Cody about Star Wars a lot. So, oh man, that's a really tough choice. I guess I guess in that regard, maybe I'll kill Kenny and marry Cody. <laughs> um, Everybody wants to fuck the Young Bucks, so we got that. Yeah, um, I think I would marry the Young Bucks. They they seem like big wife guys who really love their wives a lot. <laughs> so I feel like they would be, uh, you know, very attentive husbands. Um, and polygamy, wow. And polygamy that you get two for the price of one. Um, <laughs> I would probably probably go with fuck Kenny. Um, you know. I think that's self-explanatory. Uh, I would say kill Cody. I think Cody, you know, a little too ambitious for my taste in a partner. He's, you know, I think you would always feel like you're sort of second priority. Yeah. Uh, BTF says, did Engelmata do anything right this year? Uh, no. <laughs> I don't think they did. I so I, I, I think mean, I would really. I think they made interesting signings to begin with, like Roosh, Bandito, Jeff Cobb, uh, you know, Tracy Williams, Mark Haskins. These are all like good people to add but they made no use of them whatsoever really so yeah they, they it doesn't matter who they sign because they can't book but yeah so it's true they they, they did sign some interesting talent yeah it should be and also is worth mentioning that as far as the end of this year goes i know they signed flamita they signed dan moff yeah 46 year old dan moff um they signed i guess they signed tyler bateman because he's doing the thing with Vinny. and i was just scrolling through twitter and a Cubs fan mentioned that they signed Slex from Australia. So, by the way, apparently. Ring of Honor. Now, remember we mentioned there's going to be a Vincent Goff stable. Uh, they do have a Goff stable. It's called Ring of Horror. So, 
So there you go. <laughs> so fucking terrible. Slash. Ring of Horror. Ring of Horror. Uh, anyway, let's see. The last question, the final question is... Actually, well, he, YOLO gives us two questions. He said, uh, Ring of Honor question, how will Ring of Honor deal with the possibility of the boys signing with WWE, which would certainly be a tremendous blow to Ring of Honor? Uh, I know you're kidding, but really, there is nothing to deal with for Ring of Honor except for the fact that, like, they should no longer exist. So, like, you can't have it. It's like you're on fire, you know, and, you, like, if your house is already on fire, if someone throws a rock through the window, you're not going to notice. So... What are you going to do? <laughs> Don't really have anything else to say here. Uh, his AEW question. Will, he said, will you hashtag join the B Dark Order and why? I know that B was a typo, but I like the idea of like a B Team Dark Order. Uh, so yes, I will join the, the Dark Order's B Team. The backup gaffs. That's what I'm going to join. That'll be you and the Beaver Boys. <laughs> Me and the Beaver Boys. So there you go. All right, let's wrap this up. Sean, give me some plugs. What are you plugging? Uh, okay. Well, you can follow me on Twitter at SACDOR2994. Uh, um, yeah, you can just follow me on Twitter for that. Um, you can follow my work at Voices of Wrestling. Uh, by the time this goes up, hopefully my uh, final battle review will be up on the site. Um, is this going up tomorrow, John, or is it like like really like late? Your guess is as good as mine, buddy. Okay. All right. Well, presumably by the time most people listen to this, uh, that review should be up on the site, so you can check that out. Um, and then I guess you can go to the forums, the VOW forums, which I, I noticed recently just there's not a lot of activity on there recently, but I, I still do update my little EWR. Uh, WCW Diary thread, so you can go check that out. Um, should be posting some 1999 stuff soon, so that's exciting. Um, and I think that is all. I guess check my stuff out too in the uh, New Japan Yearbook when that comes out in a couple of weeks. All right, Nate. Uh, first of all, plug all your stuff, and we already talked about how you're going to Japan and what you let. You know, I'm very jealous. I keep thinking about. How jealous I am of all these people going for Wrestle Kingdom. But also want to mention too the because I forgot I hadn't mentioned this on the air at all. The weird opening was in tribute to you, the the Bondori cover. So Yes, thank I, you very I, much I, for that. That was my present in exchange for you coming on this stupid podcast where <laughs> I complained about your I assume your favorite promotion. Uh yeah, well probably favorite American promotion. Um but yeah, I, so I do the Weekly Everything Elite podcast. You can find it on your podcast app of choice, um, or it is at Twitter at Everything AEW. Um, we talk about AEW every Thursday morning, pretty much. No, that's not accurate. Thursday evening slash Friday morning. Um, so if you want to hear more defenses of it uh, because we are co-opted, or do you want to hear more criticisms of it because we are haters, then that's your place to go for that. Uh, we also have a Patreon where we just mostly talk about things that are more fun to us. So lots of uh, Joshi talk on there. Uh, we've got a episode with Brian Quimby from Street Fight Radio, where we just make fun of uh, Gabe Sapolsky. Um, there's an episode with Kath Barbadoro from WrestleSplania, where we talk about My Dad is a Heel Wrestler, the New Japan family film featuring Hiroshi Tanahashi. So all sorts of fun stuff on there. Check it out. Uh, but yeah, probably your, your easiest way to find us, Everything Elite 
or everything AEW on Twitter. Yeah, I can confirm that the Patreon is very good. I am a, a subscriber to that. So you guys do a good job. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Notice my invite has been lost in the mail, apparently, but it's fine. <laughs> uh, next week, the year interview series, uh, the, we're going to have the penultimate episode, the miscellaneous Puro episode, uh, which I just put together basically because I still want to talk all Japan. I still want to talk BJW. I didn't want to give them their own episode this year. So we're going to talk all Japan, big Japan, uh, Noah. We'll probably even talk a little bit Wrestle 1 and Zero 1, even though I haven't watched them at all this year. Uh, maybe a little Dragon Game, I haven't watched them at all this year either. But we're going to talk basically anything uh, male Japanese wrestling other than New Japan, uh, which gets the last episode that we're doing, which you know should be surprising anybody, or DDT, which we already did. So that'll be next week. Uh, the rem- All the remaining male Puro Feds, they get their own episode. With returning guests, uh, Thomas Fishback and Paul Vosh, both from the Voice of Wrestling website. So that is our second to last year interview episode. So look forward to that. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at WrestleOmakase, Wrestling with Fett. Uh, you can also, of course, um, join either the Super J cast or the Voice of Wrestling Discord, where uh, you know you can f- come chat with me in the Wrestling Omakase channels. We have channels on two Discords because I don't I don't know how that happened. Just kind of happened. And, of course, you can uh, donate to Red Circle if you enjoyed this episode. I, I forget to mention that every single week, but we very much would appreciate it. So thank you, as always, for listening, everybody. And we will see you next week. Goodbye.